G'day and welcome to another episode of the Beyond the Fence podcast and basketball season has finally hit down under so we are talking all about NBL 22 and on the doorstep of the new season I have Michael Huben from the Pick and Roll joining me. How are you mate? Yeah good thanks Ben. I'm looking forward to uh, chatting some NBL hoops. It's it's It seems like it's been not a while because we just come out of the blitz but I feel like for some reason this offseason has dragged on longer maybe that's just a result of endless lockdowns but you know we're finally getting to some some local hoops again i'm excited yeah it's been a little while um i think the off season has dragged a little bit you're right and i think a lot of that has had to do with um all the all the big name signings sort of happening nice and early in the piece and then as the sort of the the, the signings slowly drag on i don't think uh you know your, your dp pickups and stuff get it quite as much attention so <laughs> I think, um, you know, we've been been waiting for a while. We've sort of known, you know, what the teams are roughly going to look like. And, um, you know, finally, we've, we've had a little glimpse in preseason, but, you know, the, the real thing's just around the corner, which is really exciting. You're telling me that, that Zach Triplett is not generating, you know, buzz and exposure and, you know, well, eyeballs to screens. Well, some of, some of those young guys get, get the hype over on Instagram and such, but us old heads are on, on Twitter, so we don't really see the... Uh, buzz around those signings <laughs> yeah you're absolutely yeah i mean i i wouldn't have a clue about um you know the, the latest i don't know what songs they use in mixtapes anymore I, i'm washed <laughs> i'm still watching those old like 20 2010 hoop mixtapes from when i grew up you know like the andrew wiggins oh yeah i'm still living off those i don't know what the the new ones are like these days i mean i mean that andrew wiggins mixtape got me to to get my dad <laughs> to buy me a kansas jersey so you know well worth it. <laughs> yeah, th- thankfully it doesn't have his name on it, so it, I don't have to associate it directly with Wiggins. But yeah, it, it is a, a, a number twenty-two. Um, but let's move on. No, it's yeah, I'm I'm excited, and obviously, like I just mentioned, we've come out of the blitz. How much of the blitz did you actually get to catch? Yeah, I saw a good chunk of the games. Um, obviously, keen to you know see how these players look together, and not just on paper, but actually on on the court and. Um, you know, it was cool to see things down in Tassie popping there. You know, the the Tassie fans getting around all that. I think it speaks volumes that um, of the passion of Tassie fans that they all um, came down and supported. They were able to overlook their team is actually called the Jack Jumpers. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> and I'm still able to root for them. So you know, I think Tassie, um, you know, have a lot of basketball fans down there by the looks of things. And um, you know, I, I mean, for Tassie in particular, you know, I don't think they're going to blow things out of the park this year, but they are going to have a fun team. So it'll be interesting to see whether that um, that passion can continue itself for the, the course of the season. Um, but yeah, it was definitely great to watch some basketball and, and see all the new teams in action. Just, just quickly on Tassie, obviously as a Tasmanian resident, not native, but resident myself, I, I did make it down to the Jack Jumpers first, um, the first Blitz game against the Bullets. And there, it, for a free game, it was actually a, on a Sunday Arvo, so, you know, commitments and stuff. It was actually still a pretty good crowd. I think they had to close parts of it just for numbering restrictions, but they actually, you know, they got loud. And I guess, because I went to that game and then I watched a couple of other ones just on KO and obviously restrictions in other parts of the country meant there were no fans. But no, you're right. The Tassie uh, crowd did get around their team. It was took me, I think, half an hour just to drive into the arena, which that, that speaks more to Tassie's roads than um, an actual, you know, bumper crowd but the arena itself is it's a nice little arena it's not huge I, I think they haven't fully done the area it's still just a big mud pit outside 
Um, but they had all the other stuff going for them. They had, you know, the, the publicly sponsored cheerleaders. They had the crowd announcers. They had, a, I don't know if this got caught on the KO. They have a really obnoxious um, uh, siren, really high pitched, like shot clock. It's like the first time that went off, that was a startle. Well, it sounds like it'd be, it's the little things like that that make each stadium iconic, you know, and I think like from watching on KO, um, you know, it did seem like a smaller scale arena, of course, but a lot of the times those smaller venues can be a little bit more intimate and a little bit more um, passionate. You know, you got everyone squished in there. Yeah. Um, you know, I think in comparison, you know, went to some of those um, NBL Cup games last season, you know, in Melbourne and you got this massive arena, but just due to the sheer number of games going on a lot of the times you'd have you know half an empty stadium yeah and in the back of my head I was like man if you if you play this maybe in the state basketball center or something smaller you know the the atmosphere would be so much better um just because everyone's packed in a little closer so I think Tassie could have a little uh you know cult home uh base there that could could really get pumping during the season yeah and I mean I've even I can't even get tickets to the uh to the opener i'm not a member i can't commit to a full season but i i tried to just get tickets to the opener on tomorrow shit um and i i went on yeah like a month ago or so now and it was all sold out unless you want to pay you know 400 bucks for the full hospitality uh which I, i'm not in a position to be doing but no there is definitely interest and curiosity around the team uh you're right it is a very small stadium they've actually got uh, one of the long sides isn't even seated. It's just a couple of boxes and the benches. So that does cut out like a solid quarter of potential seating. But no, there is definitely buzz right away. I just hope that for the team's sake, the fans, because yeah, they're not going to win many games. They're not going to be like contenders, I don't think. I just hope that they get, they get that support and the fans stick with them. Because I think it could get a little bit depressing in the dog days in the middle of the season when they are, you know, four and 17 or whatever. Um, and, you know, just playing a sleepy Thursday night game against Perth. And you know, there's, there's a thousand people in the arena. I hope it, it doesn't come to that. Yeah. It's going to be a bit of a grind. And as you said, I'm, you know, I'm sure we'll get to it later, but you know, the yeah. roster doesn't look, you know, super great on paper, but I think if there's something that Tassie seems to have done the best so far, it's engaging with the Tassie community and, you know, getting those fans involved. You know, we know there's that fan base there and, you know, so long as they can sort of string them along and maybe not win heaps of games, but at least be fun. Um, yep. Hopefully that can sustain itself. Yeah. And you're right. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about Tassie later. I don't want to use all my Tassie content now, but um, what, what, did you have any other, I guess, too early reactions or takeaways from the blitz that you saw? Oh man, it, it was so hard because, you know, you look at the the roast rosters that they were throwing out every game. Um, you know, there's some games where half the team wasn't playing and, you know, that half was the good half. So yeah. <laughs> it was really hard to sort of take, have, it, have too many takeaways from those games. Um, you know, obviously there's always a caveat, you know, of preseason and, um, you know, these games not being worth too much. But when you don't have the regular rotations going, um, you know, it's an even bigger asterisk. Um, you know, obviously teams like Adelaide and stuff did really well. And, you know, there's no discounting that. I'm sure that's great momentum going into the season. Um, but yeah, it didn't, didn't do too much for me. I, I sort of look at the preseason more on an individual level, you know, seeing some guys that we haven't seen before and how they may fit in. Um, but, you know, you look at even like a team like Sydney, um, yep. they, they didn't play a good portion of their roster 
pretty much the whole preseason. We didn't see their full roster once. Um, so with a team like that who, you know, have, you know, a lot of question marks surrounding their fit and how they're going to figure that out, it kind of leaves you with more questions than answers. And, yep. um, you know, I, I, I would think that, you know, you want that preseason time to sort of at least figure out those dynamics. Um, so for teams that weren't able to do that, I think that they are at a real disadvantage. Yeah, we didn't see RJ Hunter at all. We only saw Jalen Adams once. We only saw one of the Maker Boys once. I forget which one it was, but we only saw one of them once as well. And it, it's just, yeah, like, especially for a new, like they've got a new everything, basically, new system, new coach, new set of imports. Um, it was good to see Angus Glover back though. That was cool. Um, but yeah, it, it is just going to be a, and that's not just Sydney. I mean, Sydney is the main one I focused on as a, as a King's life member but I mean I imagine a lot of teams were just you know trotting out even in close games I know Melbourne played a lot of their bench uh in in games just to I guess give the young guys a bit of run and you know obviously don't want to get miles on the guys at the start of the season as well that's the other aspect of it yeah oh absolutely and I mean when I'm watching these games I you know I'm not really even following the score to be honest I couldn't tell you who beat who Um, (laughs) it's just it's the little takeaways as you said like Angus Glover looks as good as always, you know, that guy could get injured a million times and I think he'd keep bouncing back to a hundred percent, you know, and even guys on that team, like Bawali Bales, you know, we hadn't seen him in an NBL uniform before, um, but he looked, he looked really good. In my opinion, he looked like a guy that could fit in and potentially play minutes. So it's just those little things and, you know, getting those younger guys some confidence, like that's all great. Um, but in terms of the regular season, when it's guys that aren't really going to hit the floor, um sort of wonder how that's going to you know have any sort of carryover at all yeah i i i'm guessing the fate i haven't got on the facebook groups in god knows how long but i imagine there's a few up few uh, a bit of uproar in the facebook groups about you know this that and you know how do we lose this game or xyz did this and like oh come on it's it's blitz who cares <laughs> <laughs> well you know the one thing which i've noticed on the socials a little bit um i don't know if you've picked this up yet but the Filipino fans are all out and about for Kaya Soto. Oh, it absolutely. Like, we know the Philippines are just, like, basketball mad, but these guys are, like, ready to throw things at their TV when the guy's not suiting up for preseason games. Yep. So, it'll be... <laughs> um, I mean, that's a little interesting side narrative to keep track of as well. But, you know, it goes to show, you know, some people got to chill. It's just preseason. Don't take too much from it. If you lose every game, probably doesn't mean too much. Well, I mean, if the Filipino fans, you know, surely they're, they're pointing to Adelaide winning the Blitz and, you know, having Kai Soto, it, it seems to be a one-to-one relationship, surely. Well, let me just put it this way. If, uh, if he's recording DNPs in the regular season, I think some people will be coming for CJ Bruden's head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's a nice little segue into, I guess, we can dive a little bit deeper into each team now. And obviously, we'll start with Adelaide. I think... And I've just got a couple of dot points that I wanted to touch on, but we'll obviously expand, you know, whatever comes to mind. But I think the biggest question, and Illawarra went through it last year, it's obviously going to be, you know, replacing the the Josh Giddy era. It, it's one and done. It, it, it was always a finite thing. It was never more than one year anyway. So you'd think they'd have some sort of succession plan, but a guy like losing a guy like that is going to be huge. And obviously Mitch McCarran helps, but, you know, losing Giddy is going to be a big step. Yeah, it really is. I mean, first and foremost, like, isn't it crazy that we're calling it the Josh Giddy era? I don't think anyone would have really, you know, been thinking about that this time last season, you know, in the preseason. You know, we knew he was an exciting talent, 
but it really speaks to, you know, his ability that he was able to sort of make that Adelaide team his own as the season went on. Um, and, you know, that we're talking about him as such a big omission. Uh, that, that being said, I mean, you can't get too many um, replacements as good as Mitch McCarron. You know, he's one of the best local guards in the league. And, you know, he's a pretty like-for-like comparison in terms of being a pass-first guy that will get others involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I think they've probably done as well as they could have in replacing him there. They've, you know, I mean, overall on the whole, they've done really well with their local stocks. You know, they brought... Um, Isaac Humphreys back to pair with DJ again, you know, getting Sunday Dech in there. Um, and then Mitch McCarron, that's probably about as good a local four as, you know, you'd find anywhere in the league. Um, so, I, you know, I think Adelaide have done pretty well to adjust for Giddy. I think the one thing that I would point as a point of difference um, with that change from Giddy to McCarron is when I watch Mitch McCarron, and I say this as a big fan of Mitch McCarron, He's a guy that doesn't necessarily command a lot of gravity as a driver. He's, when, he, when he drives in, he sort of is probing the defense, looking for passes and such. And I wonder how his different style will impact his ability to create looks for the big guys. Because we saw that so much with Josh Giddy. you know, him driving off the pick and roll. And, you know, you have Isaac Humphreys rolling to the rim, Daniel Johnson rolling to the rim. Those two-man games were just electric all season. I don't know if that's going to be quite the case this season. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, they've got a lot of spaces, they've got a lot of talent, but I'm interested, interested to see whether they have that same guy on the perimeter that can really attack the teeth of the defense and, you know, distort the D for open looks because yep. Sunday Dev, he's like a three and D guy. Dusty Hannah's leans more to, you know, the perimeter shooting side of things. And, you know, we already spoke about Mitch McCarron. So I'm just interested to see how that dynamic will work. I don't think it's a big deal, but I think it's something worth noting. Yeah, and I think on that local stocks that they've got, I think the main point of difference in, you know, the NBL over the last five years, you know, imports for the most part are always going to be a fairly similar, obviously imports play better than other imports, but imports for the most part will have like a base level of production that you expect. And it's all usually down to, I guess, the local guys you have that really sets you apart. And I think, like you said, you look at Humphreys, uh, McCarran, uh, even like Besto isn't what he once was, Cameron Besto, but still a really, really useful, experienced guy who's played NBA and was productive in the NBL before all this injury stuff. Uh, Daniel Johnson is obviously one of the best local uh, big men in the last you know, 10, 15 years. But like McCarron and Humphreys, two of the top five, I'd say, locals in the league. That's, to me, almost as important as having a, a, a killer import but you look at their import stocks, and this is where I'm slightly worried for Adelaide. Dusty Hannah's, like we've seen, can shoot, like, what was it, 90-odd threes in a row? Um, yeah. Todd, Todd Withers, I vaguely remember him from his time uh, in the G League with the Grand Rapids Drive, the feeder club for, um, for my Pistons. So I've actually seen the name. He's a shooter. He can, he can do a little bit of this and a little bit of that offensively. But I think not a lot of teams are going to rely on their locals a lot, but I think Adelaide's going to be one of those teams that it's going to be a lot of a, a local importance over imports, which is usually not the case for this new age NBL. Yeah, it's a real litmus test in terms of, you know, I, th- I think the most valuable guys that you can sign are the top level locals. Yes. But that being said, it's always been an import-driven league. Yep. Good imports win your games in the NBL. 
And they're really bucking that trend, so to speak. Like, I don't think Hannah's or Withers are bad players by any stretch. I think they're really good imports. But I see them more as sort of like secondary imports, more... Yeah, um, exactly. Players, yeah. And when I look at McCarran and, and DJ and Isaac, um, you know, I, I feel like you could say similar things about them. So the question is, is this going to be a team that, you know, it plays really well on both ends, a lot of good players, but where's that aspect of greatness that is really going to push them over the top? Um, I really question that. And then you couple that in with the fact that I think their depth is a little bit questionable. And I sort of wonder if it all comes together enough for them to be any more than, you know, a consistently decent team. Yeah. And this is obviously also factoring in, I think when Illawarra, oh, sorry, when Adelaide got a uh, Sunday Detch from Illawarra, it, he showed me stuff that I didn't realize. I think he's improved so much to the point where, like you said, him being three and D as a primary but I think he's shown a lot more creatively than I thought he had, even when he was at Perth. Um, he's kind of improved every season to the point where he's now a, a, a high-end local guard, like consistent starter, not a star by any means, but, you know, he's got a really high uh, high floor. Um, but like, yeah, I, I agree. It's just, it's one of those teams where you look and you go, yep, they've got solid depth. They're probably, if this was NBA, you'd say they're a good regular season team, mm. but in the playoffs, it's all about that explosive game-changing, you know, moments. Um, and McCarran's great. Humphreys is great. You know, Humphreys probably would have been on the Olympic squad if he wasn't, if he didn't pull out. Yep. And then, you know, like you've said, secondary level imports, good players, but not game breakers in Hannah's and, and Withers. And you just go, well, th- they'll probably be like contending for the playoffs whether they make it. I'd, I'm not going to predict yet because that comes later. Uh, in our conversation but yeah it's it's just a lot of it, it sounds a bit harsh but there's a lot of vanilla and that's not necessarily a bad thing but, but yeah I don't know if, if I had to say one thing about this team just to sort of sum it up like who would you say is the number one option on this team for me I'd probably say DJ but it, it's a hard one to say that that's why I am struggling a bit with them yeah, I, I, I'm gonna. I lean. I always lean to the guy that has the ball the most. So it's probably for me. It's like a a thirty 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 split almost between McCarran, DJ, and Humphreys. But McCarran having the ball probably shades it slightly. But yeah, like the fact that I don't think any of those imports are in that top three. It's it's kind of atypical for an NBL team now. Yeah, most definitely. What about Mojave King? Any expectations on him coming down from Cairns? Look, I, I know he had a, a rough year last year um, and, you know, a lot of things were said about his situation and his opportunity and, and all these things. But I think at the end of the day, if you look at that Cairns roster, he was on a weak team and there was plenty of opportunity for him to earn minutes. Now, whether he could have gotten more opportunity a bit earlier, I, th- I think you could probably argue that. But when you now look at Adelaide's situation, I think Adelaide are a deeper team, even at the guard positions yeah so for him to move to Adelaide and you would think it was under the presumption that you know he he wasn't going to have seed uh sorry he he was going to have you know the the same head coach as Josh Giddy um you know the fact that that situation's changed you're sort of wondering whether that was how he anticipated it to be um I, I look at that depth chart and I see him you know pretty comfortably as the as the backup two there 
Um, but whether there's any scope for him to develop his role beyond that, I'm not too sure. Because you look at the three, they got Sunday, they got Todd Withers. You know, he's going to probably split his time between the three and the four. Mitch McCarron can even slide over and play the two. Um, so whether Mojave is going to stand out so much that he's going to overtake any of these really good players, I'm kind of sceptical. Um, now, opportunity isn't the end all be all. If he's able to improve within his minutes, then that's a massive thing. Um, you know, we saw glimpses of him being able to score the ball at a really high level. Um, but from what I've seen so far, I feel like it's a case of more of the same from Mojave. And, you know, maybe that's something he develops as the season goes on. Um, I definitely think the potential's there. But right now I see him as someone who he can shoot the three ball. He's super athletic, but I feel like he doesn't have the on-ball skills as a ball handler, as a driver, as a passer to really make the most of what he does have. And it might be a couple of years until he can really put that all together. From a role perspective, and I guess his fit in his Adelaide team, it almost has a bit of Jack McVay to it, wouldn't you say? Definitely, yeah. I mean, he's a guy that, and again, he showed it in glimpses, the guy can be a spark plug off the bench. Um, I think you can pretty comfortably slot him into lineups, knowing that, you know, you can park him on the wing and he's going to be able to space the floor. He shoots the three ball pretty well. Um, and then, you know, he has aspects of getting out in transition and, you know, throwing down dunks at times um, where he can be quite dynamic offensively. Um, but given the inconsistencies up to this point, it's very hard to pencil him in as any more than sort of an X factor coming off your bench where, you know, if you get something from him, great. If you don't, then park him. And I think Adelaide's going to run with that in mind until he's able to prove himself more. Yeah. And I guess lastly on Adelaide, unless I've missed anything that you wanted to touch on, CJ Bruton, first year as a head coach in the league, what are your expectations of him? Obviously, um, <clears throat> Bruton, a change from the the Joey Wright era. So, and obviously last year, Connor Henry, you know, new direction player, former player, obviously should command a bit of respect in that regard in the locker room. But do you have any expectations of him as a coach going into the season? Well, I'm really interested to see, you know, what it will be like because there's been a lot of talk about him. He's been, you know, in the rumours of potential head coaching candidacies for a little while now. Um, you know, we we know his reputation as a player's coach and, you know, he's someone that players seem to get around. Um, but that being said, I look at this roster, I think these are all really coachable guys. I think they'd play under anybody. So with the knowledge that it is a pretty strong player base there, um, I think expectations are going to be pretty high for him. Um, I think a lot of it will come down to finals or no finals um, yep. because this is a team that's sort of on the fringe a little bit. And I don't think anyone's going to be, you know, calling for the axe just yet. I think he'll, he'll have a bit of time to sort of prove himself. But I think for him to really smash it out of the park this season and, and be considered a success, um, even if he's able to sneak into the top four, top five-ish, um, I think that'll be a massive win for him. And obviously, you know, he's been around the league as a coach for five years now, a long-time assistant with the Bullets. So it's not like he's just coming off the street. So he does have, I guess, that work experience. It's just, yeah, whether the expectation is too much for him in his first year. I don't think it will be. Um, and he's obviously going to get time uh, as a, a a local coach now. But, yeah, this roster is kind of on the fringe. And I just hope they don't judge this roster higher than you know what it, what it could be compared to him as a coach like as a baseline because i think 
I think he's a very good coach. He's obviously been around some good coaches in Brisbane. I get, I, yeah, I, whether he's the the bit that takes him to the the playoffs, I don't know. Mm. I mean, I don't have an issue with um, him being selected, but I think it does sort of say something that you know Connor Henry left in the manner that he did. And by the reports, the Adelaide went after a few different coaches with no success before they ended up with CJ. Um, and when you do hear that, you sort of wonder whether they have, you know, a, an incredible level of confidence in him or whether he was a guy that just sort of ended up as their plan C, D or E. And, um, you know, he, he does seem like a guy that a lot of people like and think he'll, he'll prosper in a role like this. Um, but that sort of leads me to sort of watch this space a little bit more before, you know, I make any judgments on him. Yeah, for sure. I guess it is a wait and see. You know, Adelaide have had a pretty weird last couple of years. Um, so maybe Bruton provides that stability. Right. Speaking of Brisbane, the Brisbane Bullets. Um, Lamar Patterson is the name that comes to the top of my mind. Speaking of weird couple of years, he's had a weird couple of years obviously really good for Brisbane a couple of seasons ago signs for New Zealand off the back of that stops caring I don't know what happened down there gets uh, cut goes back to Brisbane is this his restoration year I think it might be I mean I'm not going to lie to you Um, I was pretty skeptical when they brought him back just because of the way he looked last season by way of his fitness it seemed like he was sort of beyond caring and I don't know if that's the sort of guy that you want to bank on um but to his credit he's looked way better this preseason looks in better shape getting buckets and doing things that he wasn't doing last year um and we all know what he's capable of when he's at his best that said like I don't know how far Lamar takes you and he rightfully is the person that you should be talking about when you think of Brisbane because I look at their roster and they're going to live or die by how he performs now Obviously, he seems to be in a condition where he's going to be a lot better than last season. That's the least you can hope for. Um, but some of the comments last season, you know, when you refer to the breakers and um, they they recently had a documentary out where they had, um, you know, some coaches and, and different people involved with the club comment on how he, the shape that he came into over there. And it, it's just scathing. Like, it, it is not a good look. And you can only hope that he's really learned his lesson and he's come out ready to prove people wrong because Brisbane are going to need him to be their number one or, you know, one A or one B option. The other guy being Nathan Sobey. Um, beyond that, I don't know how much star power they really have. And that team is going to just have to scrape through wins by virtue of Patterson and Sobey really carrying this roster, in my opinion. Yeah. And I, a bit like Adelaide, maybe uh, they've got like a, a pretty solid, strong local base with Sobi. Uh, you know, Jason Kadee has been an NBL quality starter for several years now. Anthony Drummond comes off the bench. But a guy I wanted to talk about, and I, uh, in my one Blitz game that I went to down here in Hobart, uh, it was Tasmania against the Bullets. So I did see the Bullets up close and Robert Franks is their other or one of their other imports. And he was a guy, he didn't start that game, but he actually really impressed me. He seemed really versatile. I don't think he missed a three, which obviously boosts my estimation of him based on what I've seen. But, you know, he was spacing the floor, but he was also getting inside, seemed really strong in contact. And I think he's going to be an import that maybe goes under the radar because I don't think a lot of people have heard of him. Uh, but but someone who can be really productive, whether he does start or not. And I'm not sure if he does in this Brisbane team, but 
someone who I think is going to really be an, a sneaky, important player for them. Yeah, Robert Franks was really interesting. I wasn't actually too aware of him before he signed as well. And my initial sort of impressions when he was signed, I looked at him and I thought, look, Brisbane, they don't have much in the way of bigs. And, you know, they, they're sort of after maybe a four or five. And the first thing that stood out to me is the guy's only like six, seven. Yep. Um, with that being said, he's got a pretty solid frame. He's got a bit of length. Um, and as you mentioned, he can really stroke the three ball. Um, I think that will be the big thing for them because they don't really have another shooter in the front court. Um, unless they, you know, go small with Patterson at the four, Franks is their only really other shooter. You know, Deng Deng isn't a guy that's consistently going to shoot it. Tyrell Harrison's a non-shooter. Jack Salt's a non-shooter. They're quite big and slow, really, in the front court. So Franks, with his ability to play at the four and, and possibly even slide up to the five, I think he's going to be the key to sort of making their lineups click and giving them enough spacing to really operate. Um, his production in the G League sort of seemed inconsistent when I looked at it on paper. Um, but with that being said, he was someone that sort of surpassed my expectations during the Blitz. I thought he looked really good. And, you know, he's one of those imports that sort of slides into that mould for me of, uh, you know, really good complementary player. Yeah, and that, that's obviously important to get in your imports. I think in the game I saw of him down here, he, he was someone who was, um, he's definitely got, I think, the athleticism to play a small ball five in the NBL. Uh, he is only six, seven. And I think Tasmania's roster uh, in that game kind of con- uh, contributed to that as well. But you are right. This Brisbane team, you look at the, the guys they've got, <clears throat> excuse me, rotating that center spot, uh, you know, Harrison, Salt, uh, Lou, the, the Chinese uh, restricted player. It, there's not a lot of mobility. It's really, it's almost like a quintessential FIBA zone big man where they just park them in the middle and, you know, if you can move them, good luck, but they're not, you know, especially on defense, they're just going to be, their rib protection is going to be great. But if you can stretch this Brisbane team out, I think that's going to be their weakness and they're going to be forced to play small. And like you said, if Franks is the small ball five in this scenario, as good as I think he is and as underrated as I think he's been by the, I guess, expectations set forward for this Brisbane team, that that does seem like the early imprint, you know, until we see them play, that does seem like the way to, to go against them. Yeah, I mean, these guys are going to be playing drop coverage all year and pick and roll. Like, none of their bigs are very modern. Um, no. You know, Harris Salt, as I said, and then, you know, the Chinese guy, Liu, um, you know, he's he's just going to get attacked in pick and roll coverages all year with his lack of mobility. Um, so that's sort of where I look at this Brisbane team, and I wonder really what the identity is in terms of play style. Um, you know, I would have looked at a guy like Nathan Sobey. He's your local cornerstone. And I look at a guy like him and think, you know, you probably want to up the pace a little bit, you know, be getting out in transition, you know, to suit his play style. But the rest of this roster seems quite half-court orientated. And, um, yeah. you know, I don't think they've given themselves a lot of versatility to mix with different lineups and such. I think when, when I look at the depth chart on paper, I see a really stacked log jam of good but not players on the wing. Like, you know, Drumick is a good player. Isaiah Mice is an import. He should be solid. Even going, you know, deeper into the rotation, guys like Tom Digbo, the next star, he's looked pretty good at moments. Um, and then Tanner Krebs had a really good NBL one season. But how are these guys all going to fit together in the regular season in terms of minutes? It doesn't all quite add up to me. 
Um, and I just wonder how they're going to sort of figure that out and, you know, create a consistent style for themselves. that's going to, going to win them ball games. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it does seem like a very, not uninspiring, but almost a boring team outside of Nathan Sobey. Like they'll probably win a fair few games, but even Lamar Patterson is that slower type of him. He's obviously not going to jump over anyone. I think last year proved that, um, you know, yeah, outside of Sobey, it's just a bunch of, not, not to be harsh, just a, a lot of guys that are, yeah, slower paced, um, you know, organized, conventional, historically, you know, the basketball player, not this new age uh, run and gun. Like if this was Mike D'Antoni trying to coach the Phoenix Suns in the mid 2000s, he'd probably cut every single one of these players because um, they're just they're just not that modern style of play. Um, the other import, obviously, in the, the bullets, Isaiah Moss. I don't really know much about him. I've, while we've been talking, I've been trying to scan the internet, finding some stuff on him, a four-year college guy, but I've got nothing. What do you know about him? Yeah, I, I watched a little bit of him in the NZNBL, not enough to be able to formulate a you know really hard and opinion on him. But from the people that did watch enough of the NZNBL, um, the feedback that I got is he wasn't necessarily even one of the better imports in that league at the time. Um, so look, by all means, I think he'll be a fine role player. You know, I don't think they're expecting massive things of him. You know, he'll probably be coming off the bench there. Um, but I remember he was picked up really early in the free agency process. And for me, that was a bit of a head scratcher. I didn't know why you would lock in, you know, what most would consider a budget or low end import that early in the piece, especially when people were wondering, how's this Brisbane team, you know, going to reassemble? Are they going to bring Patterson back? Are they going to bring Vic Law back? What are they doing? And instead you see them use up an import spot on a guy like this. Um, it's no knock on Moss individually, but it, did sort of raise a few question marks for me, like where, what's their priorities? Where are they going with this roster at the time? Yeah, July 12th, he was signed. So yeah, almost uh, five months ago now. So he's, he's yeah. been stewing there for a while. Yeah, it's, it's an unusual one. Um, as I said, most, you know, by all means should be a, a fine rotation player, but I don't think, you know, people, if they have the, you know, some cut and dry expectation of how good an import's supposed to be, he probably won't live up to that expectation. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he doesn't have pedigree, you know, three years at University of Iowa, then one year at Kansas after a transfer, um, undrafted, 25 years old now, only professional experience being in the uh, the NZNBL, like you said, maybe that's a bit of a worry. And I think, yeah, it, it was questionable to pick up a, a third level import, you know, so early in the piece, maybe there's some connections there that we don't know about with, with James Duncan. I'd hardly doubt it because, you know, why would that be? But you never know. Um, but yeah, it's it's an odd one considering looking at Moss's college statistics and I guess how I think he's probably going to play. He doesn't seem that, I don't know if he's a nuclear athlete or not, but he doesn't seem that too dissimilar a player to someone like Sobi or Drimic or Kadi and that he's not really that, that alternative style of guard is not offering you anything different to what you've already got. You know what I'm saying? Well, well, that's the exact thing that I'm thinking of here because you look at a guy, as I said, the the wings are pretty stacked. What would the drop-off be necessarily if they took out a guy like Moss and just had a guy like Digbo or Drumick play more minutes at the wing? I don't think 
I think the drop-off would be negligible. And when you look at other holes on the roster, like they could have gone for a you know true power forward and a true center, or they could have gotten another point guard option um, to combine with Kadee. I think those would have been a more valuable use of you know import resources than chucking another you know so-so wing into the mix. Yeah, it it, it almost does seem like a bit of double dipping. Um... Like when the Breakers had uh, Sec Henry and oh, the name is the other import guard that year. The name's just totally gone from me now. But they had pretty much three imports that were doing the same thing. Um, what was his name? It was it was the year before Patterson. Um, and, they, had Sick, they had RJ. Um, oh, was that that year? They, they had yeah, Brandon, they had Brandon Ashley as well. I remember, but uh, he wasn't yeah, a guard. Yeah. I think Hobson was the other one there. But they were, as you, you're absolutely right, they were quite deep on the perimeter there. And, you know, you sort of wonder at what point, you know, it's one thing getting talent, but it all has to fit together on the floor and, you know, maximise into your best lineups. You know, there's no point having four great players if they're all guards, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, RJ and Scotty and they had Glenn Rice Jr. That's right, very, very briefly. <laughs> yeah, no one will forget that one. <laughs> well, I did, clearly. Um, <laughs> I-, I wanted to touch, not on an analytical perspective, but... Uh, we mentioned Lou, the the Chinese development player. You know when you don't really tell how big these guys are uh, until you, like on TV, you can't tell. But then you go to the games or you see them in the street or whatever, and you realize how big they are. But where I was sitting in this blitz game, it was a few rows up. Like it wasn't court level, but it wasn't exactly bl- uh, nosebleeds either. But this bloke entered the game, and I swear he was at my eye level, even though I was five rows up. It was ridiculous. He was huge. Oh, I, I could only imagine. I'd love to go, like, honestly, it's an appeal in itself to see someone that that is that physically big. <laughs> you know, seven foot five guys, you don't see even in most professional leagues. No. And, you know, like you said, you know, unless you're really genuinely courtside, you, even in person, you don't necessarily get a feel for just how big these guys are. Um, so it speaks volumes that, you know, you're able to, to notice how much this guy stands out from the lot. I mean, even, you know, he may not be, you know, the f- most effective player this season, but to see him out on the court, like, you know, the guy's a bit of a highlight machine, not in the um, most fantastical sense, but, you know, it, it's such a novelty just to see a guy <laughs> that big who can just, you know, raise his arm up and pop it in the ring. Yep. You know, like it's, it's interesting viewing. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's such a different dynamic that the NBL's never had before. Like, you know, we've never been a necessarily that big a league. And even beyond him, there's so many like seven footers this season. Now, maybe that slows the game up. Maybe it's not as interesting as I'm hyping it up to be. Um, but I do think it sort of elevates the league in a little bit, just that they have these bigger options. Um, that are on par with the size of, you know, any professional league in the world. Yeah. I mean, to put in perspective, he made uh, Tyrell Harrison look small and Harrison has made a lot of guys look small over his NBL career. Honestly, the the best way to sort of think of him is like the taco fall of the NBL. And I think that can only be a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And just finally, obviously we've mentioned CJ Bruton as a first time head coach, James Duncan as well, uh, getting his, crack he's been an assistant at the sydney kings for the last couple of years um you know before that assistant uh in asia and again expectations for him as a head coach 
Yeah, I, I, honestly, I don't know what to make of him. Um, my only initial impressions, being someone that I don't have a very strong opinion on, was it's a shame that we weren't able to get a, another local coach in a head coaching position. Um, you know, I think we, we're seeing a bit of a trend towards more uh, American coaches coming in and coaching here. And that's great, you know, especially if they're, they're good coaches. I mean, guys like Will Weaver came through and the league was all the better for it. That guy was awesome. Um, well, Duncan's but, on, know, off the Weaver tree if NBL can have coaching trees already. But yeah, Duncan was obviously brought over well, with Will Weaver. You're, you're already selling me a little bit. If he's got a connection to Weaver, then, you know, I'm all good. Um, <laughs> but just speaking generally to the trends, like you're seeing a guy like Andre Lamanis, like I know we're, you know, it's been said that he's gone to coach in Japan, right? But the guy's coaching in the third division. Like it's such a drop off to where the NBL's at. And if we're losing local coaches to these obscure leagues overseas, it's a real shame because we have a lot of really good coaches. And, you know, in the same way that we love to see our, you know, Australian players like Jock Landale and Jorp Reith and all these guys come from Europe back to the NBL, it'd be nice to have our best coaches coaching here as well. Um, so that that's just a, my general little tangent. <laughs> um, being able to not speak too specifically on James Duncan um, but it sounds like he comes from, you know, some good connections there. And if he is anything like Will Weaver, then, you know, maybe he can make this roster work. Yeah. Uh, speaking of local coaches getting their shot, Cairns Taipans, Adam Ford, his first year up there after a year, maybe he wasn't expecting to coach the Sydney Kings last season, but obviously Will Weaver getting poached. But yeah, the Cairns Taipans, I, I kind of worry about, the Taipans, because I look at this roster and I go, they're probably spoon battlers. Yep. Yeah, I don't know any way else to mix it. Like, that is the reality, I think. And um, Adam Ford has this reputation as, you know, this overachieving coach. Um, Well, he's certainly going to have to live up to it this season because (laughs) the roster, in my opinion, like, it just, it doesn't really cut it. Um, and, you know, obviously we have a level of appreciation for the fact that Cairns is a smaller um, scale club and, you know, they can only do so much with, you know, the money they have to play with. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, if they're competing in this competition, I, I really struggle to look at them on paper and think, yeah, these guys are even going to, you know, chip away at, you know, a few hard-fought wins against some of these rosters because it's, it's a really clear step down. Um, and it's such a shame because we saw them a couple of years ago with, you know, Newbull and um, and Cam Oliver and how exciting that team was. And in my mind, I was like, you know what? Maybe they don't have, you know, the deepest or, you know, best local talent, but if they can just nail their three import spots, then, you know, maybe they've got a chance every year. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, last season, you know, the imports went down to two and, you know, we realised just how big of a departure DJ Newbull was. Um, you know, I think that was a real testament to him because, you know, all the hype was around, you know, that duo of Scotty and, and Cam Oliver. And rightfully so, great imports. Um, but DJ Newble was, I, th- I think, even their highest scorer and the defensive player of the year. So yeah. he did so much on ends. And with the return to three imports this season, I thought, you know what, you know, maybe they'll be able to recruit some of um, the formula that they had two years prior. But I look at their pickups and these guys are, are fine, but they're not the elite potential NBA caliber imports that you need to drag a roster like this into competitiveness. 
Yeah, um, and, that, and that's crazy to say for the NBL now, isn't it? That you need borderline NBA level talent to to really compete. Yeah, isn't isn't that a great thing to say, honestly? Um, but that's where we're at right now. And I think, you know, Scott Machado is that guy. Like, Scott Machado is great, and we yeah. all know that. But there's a reason he had a bit of a drop-off last season. And that's because the team dynamic changed. For all that Scott Machado is great at, and, you know, he was a really good player last season again, but I th- think the fact that he didn't have enough guys to sort of play off of him and and really um, refine him into his best role put him out of his element a little bit. The guy isn't a number one scorer, and he's not a guy that's going to create everything and anything. He's a yeah. he's a great pass first point guard who's going to maximize the guys around him. But if your best guys are Mirko Jerick and Steven Zimmerman, then I don't know if that's enough. Um, you know, he needs a second legitimate perimeter creator, a la DJ Noodle, and he needs a really good big. And I think Zimmerman is kind of like an, he's an average, uh, you know, import big. And then Taj McCall is a great player, but he's more of a defensive orientated guy. And I don't know that they have the firepower to necessarily put up enough points on the board. Maybe they do overachieve on defense. And they, you know, do put the clamps on teams a little bit. But how are they going to, you know, maximize things on the other end? I really question that. Yeah, this seems like a team that's going to have to drag teams down to their level, um, especially defensively. And we, we talk a lot about the local level of talent on each team, I guess, being the distinguishing factor. And I look at their local guys. They've got a lot of guys who I would term as like really good sixth or seventh men. On, on a good NBL team. Like Mirko Jerek is great. Kuat Noy, I'm a huge Noy guy, um, but he didn't have his best year last year. I think it was really good two years ago. But obviously, like you said, maybe part of that due to the gravity from Newbill and, and Machado and Oliver as, as a trio. Jawai, we know what he is at this point in his career. He's going to give you a really good 15 minutes a game, but that's pretty much all you can count from him now. Uh, Majuk Deng, again, good NBL player, but not going to light anyone up. Keanu Pinda, again, I'm just going to repeat myself over and over again. So they've, and then Jordan Nartai, Jared Kenny, again, solid NBL level guards, but they're solid NBL level guards off the bench for a good team, not necessarily playing 25 minutes a night uh, as starters. And it, yeah, they're going to struggle <clears throat> to, to score this team. And I don't know much about. Uh, Taj McCall. I vaguely remember Stephen Zimmerman when he was coming out of college because I think there was talk that he might be an MB- uh, a first rounder in the NBA. He, he went forty something from memory. Uh, had a cup of coffee in Orlando. Didn't actually play. I don't think. But yeah, it's mm. it's. And I know we have the the small market thing that Cairns are going to struggle to attract top tier talent just because they're Cairns and where they are and the money they can offer and all that. Um, but yeah, it it is a a, a di- disappointing roster and I, I struggle to see them being you know even optimistically fighting for that top four yeah I, th- I think they're either bottom or second bottom I think that's what they're playing for this season um short of a miracle and it's sad to say because as you mentioned in and of themselves none of these players deserve a bad word about them if they were in the right situation on the right team everyone would be singing their praises um but they just need to be able to swing for the fences a little bit more, I think. You know, it's easy to say, oh, you know, I like quite Noy could break out. Um, he's he's probably the only guy I could really think could take a major step up. Yeah. Um, and it, like he has the skill, 
But from what I've seen so far, and I loved him out of college, but from what I've seen so far, he's a very streaky scorer. And, you know, maybe that's easy to say because he's had injury issues that has impacted his um, consistency on the court. Um, But he's a a guy with the green light that isn't bashful. Sometimes he hits, sometimes he misses. When he's on, he's a great second, third option. Um, But he also needs to learn how to impact the game in other ways. Um, You know, he's got strides to go on defense as a passer, et cetera. Um, So, look, the... The silver lining, you know, on teams like this is always there's a chance for guys to step up and, you know, come into themselves. Um, and Noy is probably the number one guy to do that. Um, but I don't think there's enough potential upside on this team. This is a team I would have loved to see take a swing on a next star. Um, maybe that this place isn't the next star's, you know, number one preference, you know, if you had an NBL team to go to. But they're a team that just need talent. And, you know, for all the love you can sing to guys like Jared Kenny and Nathan Jowai and stuff as, you know, veterans, these aren't guys that are going to, you know, really move the needle. Um, And I would have loved to see, you know, them, A, you know, try for some bigger name imports and B, be able to get a next star in there and just give themselves at least a fighting chance. You say that it's not the first choice. I mean, you know, you had a bloody ball family member in Illawarra and I I can't speak to... (laughs) <laughs> to what Albion Park has to offer, but I can't imagine it's too dissimilar to to Cairns, you know, from a night out perspective. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's true. And I mean, if there's one thing Cairns can probably offer, it's court time. <laughs> so I think there's definitely an appeal there. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's easy to say because you don't know what opportunities are or aren't out there to to pick yeah. guys up. But just generally speaking, I, th- I think that could could have been a bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah, the roster also seems just numerically small. So there's not a lot of cover. You know, they've only got like 11, 12 guys signed where, you know, a lot of the other clubs would have like a, a 13, 14, you know, with a couple of DPs as well. Um, but I look at Kuat Noy specifically, and he to me, he's like that potential NBL, not unicorn, but a guy who's, one of the more athletic locals in the league. And he has that ability to score at all three levels. You know, ability doesn't necessarily translate into production like we've seen, but he is a a streaky three-point shooter. He can get to the rim. He can do a lot of stuff defensively, you know, bit bit to work on there. But I think if anyone is going to step up, it is going to be Noy. It has to be Noy for this team to, to go anywhere because a lot of those other guys are just... And I'm speaking purely from an offensive standpoint, because I think that's going to be this team's biggest issue this season. Um, but a lot of these other guys are passive offensive players. I think Noy really is that only one, without knowing too much about McCall or Zimmerman, but like you've mentioned, you know, Zimmerman, an average import big, McCall, more of a defensive guy uh, with one NBA game experience. I just looked it up. So that's nice to nice for him. But yeah, noise this really only other game breaking potential offensive guy that is that doesn't really need Machado to do all his dirty work for him before he scores the ball. Yeah, um, noise the guy. Um, he's the real swing talent on this team this season. Um, and you know, I, I sort of expressed my cynicism about him putting it together this season, but it, it's not a zero chance. You know, he can definitely take a step forward. Um, especially if he's had a healthy off season. And as I said, they, they're going to need shots from somebody. Noise the guy. As you mentioned, 
I think it, you know, it really should be harped on that he's one of the few locals that really has um, that combination of NBA athleticism and shooting ability at his size, six seven, six eight, maybe even on the wing, where if he was to potentially fill out his archetype and be the best player that he could be um, within his skill set, that's a guy that NBA team is probably interested in because he can really shoot the three. He can curl off screens, do different things off the ball, um, and then obviously got the physical tools to do stuff on defense. Um, you know, the potential's there. Uh, other than that, you know, you're hoping the Jock Deng you know, gives you some some buckets. Uh, Mirko Jerick, you know, is good when he's on. Um, and the rest of the, like the rest of the team, as I said, they're fine. Um, I'm a little bit concerned. They picked up Keanu Pinder. And, you know, this is really getting into the nitty gritty of the roster now. But this is a guy, <laughs> this is a guy that um, looked pretty, I'm, I'm going to say he looked pretty trash in the first half of the season. Um, in my head, I sort of stuck with him at Adelaide. And then in the second half, he sort of came into his own a little bit, started utilizing his athleticism, was rolling, had some highlight dunks and blocks and such. And it really clicked in my mind that this is a guy that will excel at the five. He's not a shooter. He was getting miscast as a guy that stepped down on the three-point line. And then I was actually a bit disappointed to see him sign with Cairns because you look at their roster, they got Zimmerman, they got Joe they needed a four. They're clearly penciling Pinder in as a four. And I think he's going to be back into a role that doesn't suit him again. So not only do you have guys that, um, you know, are not going to beat these teams on talent for talent, I think there's some potential um, fit issues as well. And those yeah. little things are all going to add up and it's, it's just going to be really hard for them this year. Yeah. And just on Noy potentially breaking out, maybe Cairns that wanted to break out too much because last time they had a guy break out, he signed for Melbourne the next year, Melo Trimble. So mm. <laughs> can't win if you Cairns. Nah, it's just a small market issue. Uh, another small market, but we, uh, maybe a little bit more along the way in terms of competitiveness and attractiveness to elite level talent and elite level coaching. Uh, the Illawarra, sorry, are they Illawarra still? I guess they are Illawarra again. The, they're back. They're back to Illawarra. <laughs> the Illawarra Hawks. Um, and I mentioned, you know, being an attractive prospect, they've actually lured uh, a rose gold medalist back home in Jorp Reef as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you said they're a small market team. You wouldn't guess it if you looked at this roster. Like this roster is really good um and i i think people it's interesting because i've seen liam santa maria and such have um illawarra as their number one power ranking team right now and at first i was like oh you know that's uh you know that's really high regard but the more i think about it it makes sense if you look at this team and where they were last season they probably had a you know middle of the range roster with plenty of flaws to it and Gorge can turn water into wine. It's what he does. And he brought that team, you know, to the to the finals. Um, off the back of, you know, a, a defensive-minded team with Tyler Harvey just going crazy. So the fact that they're able to take that um, formula and then add some, you know, really key pieces. You just said a, you know, Rose Gold medalist in Jock Reith. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Antonius Cleveland replacing... Um, Justin Simon and then Xavier Rathamay is joining as well. Um, Jessup returning, which was massive. Um, 
this team is deep. They're but they're also front loaded. They got some really high end talent. Sam Froling continues to come into his own. Like they just have upgraded, you know, quite considerably on paper. And then you add in the gorge factor, which is always going to bump them up a couple of levels. Like this team is just going to be formidable. Do you think Justin Simon is maybe a bigger loss than we're talking about? I think this is going to be really interesting. I think this could go either way because, yeah, we all know Justin Simon is not going to shoot the ball that well, but it cannot be understated how elite he was on defense last year. Like the guy was a weapon. And, you know, I think the, the reasoning I've heard from the Hawks in regards to that move is that, you know, they're looking for a bit more floor spacing. And if you compare him to Cleveland, Cleveland is still a good defender in his own right. Um, and he is a guy that can shoot the three and he's still pretty athletic. Um, but man, I think that, I think they may regret at least somewhat the departure of Simon um, because he was such a dynamic presence for that team. And they have improved their spacing without him. Like Joop Reith is going to be able to knock down threes from the five. They've got Xavier Rathamez at the point now. Um, I think they have enough spacing now that they could have um, accounted for Justin Simon and his non-shooting. So that's something that is a tough decision. It could have gone either way, um, but I, I think the whole league's going to really miss him. Yeah, he almost, um, I guess, to a less level fit that Jay Sean Tate prototype from two seasons ago. Not to be too generic with it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, especially when you think about um, translating to the NBA level, it comes down to not just being, you know, a star or a top scorer in the NBL, but excelling in your role. You know, not just a guy like um, Jay Sean Tate, who was elite in the NBL, but he also wasn't like your prototypical, like, number one guy. Um, And you can look back at guys like Torrey Craig as well. You know, he wasn't necessarily the number one guy but he was someone that played his role and really learned to be elite in his role and it translated. So a guy like Justin Simon definitely has some parallels there in terms of a guy that was elite at his role. And he's gone off to, I think he's playing in Germany now. And the guys, like, I I watch his highlights now online. He's like getting stocks and uh, getting steals and blocks, you know, like no other player over there and putting up, you know, crazy highlights. And you know, maybe maybe the Hawks fit didn't make sense for them this season, but it's a real shame that he wasn't able to find a spot in the league again. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, we were just speaking about Cairns and Cairns said, you know, oh, we need this wing stopper. And they went with Taj McCall. That's great. But I hope they inquired into Justin Simon because if you're trying to get a wing stopper, you can't get much better than that. Um so I feel like it's a bit of a missed opportunity that we lost him just, you know, from a league perspective. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to question the Hawks and their, their reasoning behind that. It seems like they've got a, a pretty good replacement in Cleveland and, you know, they, they're going to make it work and incorporate that into their, their vision for a team. Yeah. Now we know how good Tyler Harvey is, um, but who on this roster do you think is kind of, is going to be his running mate and, and push them along? It's, it's got to be Jessup, right? Yeah, I, I think Jessup's probably the, the next most lethal offensive guy. Um, I think he has a step up from what he showed last season. He was a little bit inconsistent last season. Uh, but the guy is just so valuable, especially in that next star position. You know, it's one thing getting a, 
18 year old, 19 year old that, you know, can show flashes. Um, but this guy was a finished product and, you know, coming into his second professional season, the sky is honestly the limit. You know, he is essentially a fourth import for these guys. And, you know, it's it's going to be hard. They have a lot of, you know, good wings. It appears as though he might come off the bench with Cleveland starting at the three. Um, at the end of the day, that's all pretty um, negligible. But, you know, he's, he's going to be in a big role. They're familiar with him and how to utilize him now. And, um, you know, I think he, along with, you know, basically the rest of their starting cast are all going to, you know, work by committee to support Harvey. Harvey's, you know, your 1A option. But beyond that, they have like four or five guys that, you know, are legitimate go-to offensive guys. So I think, um, you know, they're, they're going to share the wealth a little bit there and, and they're not going to struggle for points at all. On Duop Reef, you know, last year they had a similar strategy. They brought home a, a coveted local in Dengadel. Uh Didn't quite work. But it's probably going to be, do you think it's going to be any, it'll be different for them this year, right? You know, Reef, and I don't know what happened with Adele, but I'd say Reef is probably not going to, because it'd take a lot for him to have as bad a season as Adele did last year. Oh, I mean, if if I was here 12 months ago, I'd be telling you there's no way that Deng Adele would be having the season that Deng Adele just did. Like there is no sort of rationale that you can sort of reason with yourself with that Dengadal had as poor a season as he did. Um, you know, there are a bunch of factors behind that. It's sort of hard to tell exactly what happened. But from what I heard, he was, he looked like a stud in preseason and, you know, in training camp and all that, you know, he was the guy that everyone expected him to be. And for whatever reason, you know, different things came into play. Obviously, he did have some injury things that could have contributed. Um, but he basically turned into a non-factor for them. And, you know, to be able to forecast such a, a negative outlook onto Wraith would, um, you know, it's it's hard to imagine that anyone would replicate those circumstances and that outcome. Um, from what we've seen so far, Wraith has looked really good. Um, his first couple of games, I think he was sort of feeling out his role a little bit. It's, it is hard because, as I said, they got a lot of options there. Um, and, and meanwhile, you have Brian Gorgian, you know, speaking him up as having a, what do you say, like a Jock Landale-style impact on the league, you know, <laughs> up to unreasonable amounts. Um, but, you know, I, I think he sort of figured it out in the last couple of games, and I, I think it was the last Hawks preseason game that I watched where Reith, you know, really went off and had a great game. And he sort of showed the spots where he's really going to prove a difference for Illawarra. I think the the main point with Reef is the guy is 6'11". He's obviously long and can defend the rim and move his feet pretty well on D. Um, but offensively, he's a guy that can legitimately space the floor. He's a stretch five. And I think that works well for them just in terms of general floor spacing, always a good thing. But also when you talk about that combination with Sam Froling in the front court, because Sam Fro- when I first thought of Froling and Reith, I thought these guys are both fives. I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. But if you think about it a little bit more, Sam's a guy that, you know, really made his money in the post, you know, this past season. He can work guys in, very skilled um, with his footwork and his touch around there. And when you're able to bring in a five like Jop Reith, that can, you know, stand out in the three-point line and really command a lot of gravity, this is going to give Froling a lot of space to work with. 
So mm. I think Froling's going to have some big games. I think Wraith's going to have some big games. But overall, this fit's going to work, and Wraith is going to be able to contribute on both ends of the floor for these guys. Now, lastly, a lot of smarter people than I that I follow and you know see on the internet speak a lot about uh, AK Gak played for the what was it the Emus the Under 19s in the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a lot has been said about him being maybe not having a huge role, but being an exciting young guy coming into the league. I don't know if he's boosting his stock for NBA tryouts or just you know what his go-to is. But what can you tell me about him? Yeah, AK Gak. Um, he's six ten or so. I think the wingspan's at like seven four or something, and he's like he's super athletic. I was watching the warm-ups last season um, at one of the Hawks games, and the most athletic guy in those warm-ups, it wasn't Dengadel, it wasn't any of these imports. It was a colder gap. Like, this guy has jumped out of the gym athleticism, super fluid for his size. Um, and, he, yeah, he's a really exciting young prospect. Um, I watched the under-19s earlier this year, and I think beyond, um, you know, Taryn Armstrong perhaps, or, of course, Dyson Daniels, a colder gap was the next promising guy. Um, so when you consider that, you know, Dyson's being forecast as a, a first round, potentially lottery pick, you've got Taryn Armstrong, who is making some hype for himself over in college at the moment, getting on some draft boards. A colder gap, if you're comparing the under-19s production, was right up there as a potential guy that, you know, may work his way under draft boards at some point. Yeah. Um, he's a guy, as I said, He's going to finish above the rim, super athletic, you know, can make a difference in the pain on both ends. He's also got some face-up flashes as well. He can, you know, hit jumpers in the mid post and stretch out to the three-point line a little bit. Um, good footwork as a finisher. He re- really skilled young player. I think the only thing that may hold him back from consistent minutes is, A, the Hawks roster. I mean, they've got Harry Froling and AJ Ogilvy backing up right now at the um, four and five. So they've got a lot of size and I'm not sure how they're going to configure AK into that, at least on a consistent basis. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, as with most young bigs is the physical development side of things. So whether he can physically hold himself against grown men at this point in time is a little bit of a question mark, but on the whole, really excited for AK Gak. And I honestly think it's a little bit of a shame that the hooks are so deep in the front court because I think... <laughs> Honestly, I think he's ready for minutes this season. Um, and it's a bit of a shame that we're not going to see him just quite yet. But I reckon, you know, if you stick around for some garbage time minutes, he's going to provide a few highlights this season. And by the end, maybe even overtake some of these guys and, and plays his way into the rotation. As a, as a Kings fan, I'm also upset that the Hawks are good. Um, <laughs> if, if that's any... And I don't care if Hawks fans hear that, you know. Um, Melbourne United are obviously going to be there or thereabouts just by nature of the locals that they've got. I think we have, we have to start at the, the elephant in the room, right? And it's the, it's Delhi coming home. Yeah. I mean, I, when, when he first signed, I thought this was going to be a really spicy take, but the more I've seen people comment on it, maybe it's not, <laughs> but I'm going to put it out there. I think Della Vidova is a downgrade on Mitch McCarran. <laughs> Um, you know, it's not how I thought you were going to word that, but I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily disagree. But yeah, okay. Maybe, I, maybe I tried to spice it up a little bit more by how I said it. But um, <laughs> yeah, 
at the end of the day, like they're both good players. It's this is not a knock on Delhi whatsoever. And frankly, I'm stoked he's back in the league. Like this is a guy, you know, with so much reputation behind him, so many achievements. Um, and it's really a privilege to have him back in the NBL and playing. With that said, Mitch McCarron, one of the best local guards in the league in his prime, you've discarded him for Delhi. Fair enough. There's lots of reasons why he might go and sign Delhi. But if we're talking on the court, you know, just because he's a guy with an NBA resume doesn't mean that he's going to turn into a player that he's not at this point in time when he, he joins the NBL. Um, I, I remember earlier in the preseason, one of the commentators said something about Melbourne United trying to sort of coerce him into being more aggressive as a scorer. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. He... His shot, ever since he tried to change his shot, his shot has looked pretty broke. Um, oh, it's gross. It's, it's gross. It doesn't look pretty and the ball doesn't go in the net. So there's not, not many redeeming features. It's a pretty, pretty key aspect of a shot, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not looking good. And he's never been a guy that's going to drive in and you know score a whole bunch that way. What he is going to do, he's going to be a great leader. He's going to be a guy with you know championship you know quality around him. Um, and, you know, he's he's going to bring it on the defensive end. He's going to do all the gritty things. He's going to pass the ball and get looks for others. Um, but that doesn't mean that he's going to be a star in this league. And as great as it is from a marketing standpoint and, you know, from a sentimental standpoint, um, I think they've downgraded. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, yeah, Delhi's one of those guys who, he has a, a lot of what those mysterious intangibles that coaches love to rave on about. Um, but you look at the last couple of years of his NBA career, it, uh, it wasn't pretty, you know, even when he got on the court, which was admittedly not very often. And that was partly due to injury and partly due to him just not, you know, being NBA level anymore. I don't even know if he's, he probably doesn't even start, or at least I don't know if I'd start him right now on this, on this Melbourne team. I, I th- look, I think I would start him. And I think he is going to play his way into, you know, some good form as a, as a legitimate starter in this league. Um, but just on your more general point there, like if we just think more um, vaguely at imports that have come into this league, um, I think we've seen a trend at least over the last five or so years while I've been watching closely where the guys, you know, with the big, the big name signings, you know, that are at the tail end of their NBA careers, they don't necessarily come in and have the best impact. It's often no. pretty hit on. Um, I'm struggling to think of too many examples off the top of my head, but I think of that Sydney Kings team we had, like Steve Blake and Al Harrington. And oh, stuff. exactly the one I was going to say, and I wish you hadn't brought yeah. it up because it just gave me some flashbacks to to Steve Blake and Jeremy Tyler. It was oh, it's disgusting. Yeah. I know that's exactly right, and even who else just popped into my head? I was thinking of um, Sam Young, you know, another Kings guy. Like. You know, there are, other te- there are other teams, okay? There are other teams who have bad imports, right? <laughs> well, yes. Sorry to just shit on the Kings there, but... You Actually, know, Young wasn't even that bad, to be honest, compared to the others anyway. It was solid, but I guess my overall point being, yeah. I think that we've seen that there is a better track record of guys on the come-up, younger guys that will be in the league in a couple of years, as opposed to guys that have been in the league and are on the come-down. Yeah. I think because of reputations and consistency, et cetera, et cetera, guys often linger in the league maybe a season or two beyond their ability to play at that level. 
And by the time they come out to an international league, um, you know, they're not necessarily going to blow that league away. And you could argue there's some other factors in that. You could argue that, um, you know, maybe they don't have the same incentive to play at their best. You know, they're not, um, you know, they're, they're playing here for the lifestyle and a paycheck and, you know, they're pretty comfortable in themselves as a player. Whereas, you know, the young guys have something to prove and, you know, trying to build up the ranks. Um, but, you know, quite often when I hear these guys, you know, with an NBA resume, um, it's not an automatic and, you know, it sounds like I'm taking these guys for granted that we even get these guys, um, you know, it speaks to how the NBL has improved over the years, but I think it's not an automatic win if you get one of these guys. And even though Daly's a local, I think he fits into that category. He's a guy that clearly wasn't at the NBA level for the last year or two. And he's an NBL player now. And he's going to be a really good one. Um, but I'm not going to elevate him purely because of his reputation. Well, I mean, and if Deng Adol didn't prove that last year, then, you know, nothing will really. <laughs> exactly right. You know, the, the, the chasm between these leagues um, is obviously there, but it's not as um, insurmountable when you talk about the top level of NBL versus the very bottom level of guys that may have NBA connections. Um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the best 400 players cut and dry in the world that play in the NBA. And, um, and Dali hasn't been in that stratosphere for a while. Doesn't mean he's not a great player, but I think in, another point of reference that you can point to is the Olympics. And yeah. Dali looked pretty out of his depth in that, you know, to be frank. Um, you know, that, that's the sort of situation where, you know, Dali was never going to miss the team because, you know, he's a guy that's been with this core through thick and thin. Um, but if you were to talk purely on paper, you know, I probably would have given Josh Giddy the gig over him. You know, we're seeing what he's doing in the NBA this year, and it's a lot more than Daly was doing in the league last year. So, yeah, uh, you know, that, that's where Daly's at right now. Still love him, still stoked he's here. But, um, you know, Melbourne United are going to need a lot more than, than just Daly to get themselves into finals. Yeah, and the, and the good thing about Melbourne United is they do have a pretty solid stable of locals, especially... You know, Chris Golding, obviously, we don't need to speak too much about him because we know what he's about. But also Joe Lawala-Chul, I think, is probably going to be, you know, not to sound too hot takey, but their most important player overall this year. Yeah, Joe, he's the number one guy that I think everyone's expecting to take this massive leap um, because we've watched him the last couple of years just absolutely feast on second unit bigs. Um, you know, he's clearly big for clearly ready for a bigger role. Um, you, you watch him and you're like, yeah, he's hungry for a bigger role. And, you know, United have sort of handed in the keys a little bit. You know, they let Jock Landale go. Um, they brought in Aral Huckporty, who is a guy that's going to, you know, show flashes, but he's a young guy. You know, he's not going to play over Joe just yet. Um, and Joe arguably could be their second or third offensive option after coming off the bench. So Joe's going to put up stats. He's, he's going to be a big piece for United. Another guy I was kind of interested, especially when it was announced that he'd signed, and he's the, he's the only listed import uh, on United's roster right now that I'm looking at anyway, um, Caleb Agata. We obviously saw him against the... I was going to say Socceroos. I'm losing my mind. Against the Boomers uh, in Olymp- uh, pre-Olympic warm-ups and then obviously in the Olympics itself playing for Nigeria. He was a guy that didn't really jump off the page when I watched him for Nigeria at both of those tournaments. Um, but then I watched him a little bit in Blitz and he kind of grew on me a little bit. 
it's interesting that I guess the way that United's roster is gone, that he's their only listed import. And again, he might not start either. Yeah. I mean, I think they have really big hopes for Regatta. And it's interesting that you said that you were sort of swayed more positively by your blitz experience of him. Because for me, I'm, maybe I'm not remembering the other games Nigeria played, but I remember that he went off against the USA. And that was sort of the um, defining memory of him in my head. I didn't know him prior to that event. And I thought, this guy's a bucket. Like, this guy's going to be great here. His international resume is really good. Um, And he's going to be a guy that's, you know, going to go off a little bit here. Um, But I thought that his production was pretty modest this preseason. He had his moments. He looked pretty good. Yep. Um, But look at this United roster, and especially when they're going with one import, and you can't help but think that whoever they were going to bring in was going to be brought in to be the guy. And I don't know if he looks like the guy. From what I heard, they turned down some like some really high level imports, guys, you know, that, you know, many people would know the names off with their NBA resumes. And they've they've put their faith in Caleb Bagata. And um, you know, I think he's an NBA level import. I think he's great. But is he going to be enough for what Melbourne United need this season? I don't know. No, and they're probably hoping on, yeah, on Joe taking that step on Golding returning to form on, you know, these other, like Delhi, obviously, um, you know, bringing in Brad Newley, who's probably pr- desperate to prove he's still got something left after being released by Sydney. Um, and then obviously also the returning Jack White. We don't know what he's going to be like as well. So there's a lot of factors at play when you look at Melbourne's decision to only sign a Garda right now anyway, as their import. Yeah. And I mean, we're, we're talking from um, a perspective of, you know, the, the team that United have had last season and that team was absolutely stacked. So, you know, in a sense, it might be unfair to, to shit on Melbourne too much for, you know, potentially downgrading their roster a bit. Um, I look at it overall and I'm like, this, this team can still be a finals team. Like Jack White, when healthy, he was like, he was exceptional. He was so good on defense. Um, you know, the wall of Chul, as we said, he's going to grow into that role. And, you know, Dali Goulding in a guard is a pretty good starting one, two, three. And they've, you know, got some pretty decent depth as well. Um, so they're not a bad team by any stretch. Uh, but that being said, I feel like there's some, you know, potential team building gone to waste here. I feel like they could have done maybe a little bit better overall. Um, and they're going to be floating you know, somewhere between the middle of the pack to, you know, just above the middle of the pack for me. And that's even before we mentioned, you know, solid NBL life is like Shea Lee, like David Barlow. You know, I see Dion Proust's back. That was an interesting one. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's it's an odd roster considering like, it's still a, a deep roster. Um, but yeah, I don't know what to make of it yet. Yeah, I mean, they they are pretty deep. Shea Lee is a great player. Um you know, guys like Newley, uh, Barlow, those are old guys. And it'll be interesting to see how much they have left in the tank. Um, they're going to re- be relied upon a little bit this season. Yeah. Um, so, you know, their, their main pieces are going to carry through into future seasons. But those guys, it's kind of now or never for them. And this is their last chance um, individually to so- sort of show they've, they've still got some years left in them, but also, you know, to to really have an impact on a team that, you know, could, could go places. Yeah. Now the New Zealand breakers, I kind of, I, 
you can't help but feel sorry for them because they've just been put in this situation that they obviously can't control. You know, I don't know when they, they or if even they're going to play in front of their fans this season. I think there's a tentative plan to return after, you know, the round, I forget what I heard in the Blitzniggles round six or something, but that's obviously subject to change at the drop of a hat. But I look at this uh, Brisbane. I look at this New Zealand roster, and I go, and from what I saw in the Blitz as well, and I go, you know what? There's there's something here. It, it it's I can I like to compare New Zealand to Cairns a lot in that kind of ability to attract top level talent. But I think New Zealand have done a really really good job of filling out this roster around their guys like Abercrombie and Rob Lowe and you know Finn Delaney, like the guys that have been there forever. But I look at this New Zealand roster and you go, you know, Peyton Seaver has had a really good career internationally. I really liked what I saw from Jeremiah Martin in preseason. Uh, McDowell White is one I've got high hopes for. Uh, and, you know, obviously everyone's talking about Usman Deng right now. Yeah. I mean, New Zealand, they always have something. The question is, what the hell is it and how does it work? <laughs> um, you know, every single season, they're super interesting to track. I'm I'm never bored by the Breakers roster and they've gone extra unique this season. <laughs> you know, they've they've gone with effectively a, a duo of next stars in Usman Dieng and Hugo Besson. Yes. And um of, of course Besson, you know, being classified as an import, you know, you can't go with the two next stars. Yeah. Um but, you know, I I don't think that's too bad a move. Hugo Besson has shown that out of all these young guys coming into the league, he's the most experienced, he's slightly older, and, you know, he's ready to contribute. He had multiple games this preseason where he just straight got buckets, and that's what he can do. Um, the The fit is really interesting with New Zealand. Um, I was watching their team as it was slowly being pieced together, and, of course, earlier in the off-season, they still had Ty and Corey Webster. And yes. I'm looking at this backcourt, and I'm thinking... All right, so you've basically got two high-level local import, uh, so two local guards already, and you've got William McDowell White, who's a young guy who probably deserves some more minutes, and then you bring in two import guards and Hugo Besson. Like it, it just all didn't add up. And maybe at that point in the process, they already knew they were moving on from the Websters. Um, but all I can say is now that they have moved on the fit and the balance of this roster is so much better. And it's interesting to say because, you know, the Websters are very talented players. Obviously, it's a loss to, to lose them um, in a vacuum. But you look at this roster now and it fits pretty well. Um, Jeremiah Martin is basically an NBA caliber player just without a jump shot. And that's a pretty big caveat. But we saw in the Blitz, this guy is an aggressive scorer. He's aggressive on defense. Um, you know, he's going to be a real impact player. If he keeps coming off the bench for Hugo Besson, he's probably my sixth man of the year guy. He's he's going to be really big. Um, my only concern with this Breakers roster is in a league that's going bigger, they're still pretty small. Their starting center is Yanni Wetzel. They got Rob Lowe coming off the bench. And that's about as big as they get. Now, I don't know if you can remember the first preseason they had, preseason game they had against Melbourne. But Joe Lawalichul put up 37 and 11 in like 29 minutes. I didn't watch it, but I did hear about it, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. All, all you had to do was watch Joe Lawalichul's highlights and you'd watch the game. Like, that was it. The guy just <laughs> beasted. So 
my question, and Yanni's not like a bad defender in his own right, but all these teams have these really big, big guys. And I'm interested to see how um, their approach of, you know, going a bit smaller with lots of ball handlers versus these teams that are getting a lot bigger, if that's going to work out for them, because they're bucking the trend a little bit here. And it would be nice to see them at least with one option they could go to with a little bit more size. Um, and they're probably the only team that really doesn't have that this season. From a New Zealand perspective, though, it is good to see them being able to attract some of their top-level talent back home like Yanni Wetzel. Oh, yeah, it's a real nice change of pace because, you know, I think there was a period of time there where people thought that the breakers were really getting away from that, you know, grassroots stuff and, you know, really going, you know, super international, you know, as soon as Matt Walsh came in and, you know, they bring in an international coach and, you know, all this international flavour um, and then some, you know, questionable decisions, be it your Glenn Rice juniors or, you know, next stars like RJ Hampton coming in. I think a lot of people suddenly went, oh, like, is this going to be at this expense of, um, you know, the homegrown talent that has been feeding through the breakers for so long and been so successful? Um, and it's a legitimate question, Mark, but I do think they have genuine intentions to get, uh, New Zealand players back at the breakers and blooded through the program. And Yanni's about as big a pickup as you can get. You know, that guy is going places. Um, obviously, you know, had different offers from Europe and stuff before he settled with the breakers. Um, and it, he's going to be a really big addition for them. Um, yeah, he, he's a really special player, impacts the game in so many ways. And there were multiple uh, breakers games I came away from this blitz where I was like, this guy was their most impactful player. Yeah, they, they do have a really international flavour. They've got, you know, it, 10 years ago, it would have been odd to see any flag except for the American or Australian or New Zealand flag, you know, in an NBL team. But, you know, the, the Breakers have two Frenchmen, uh, a, a Dane, although I'm pretty sure he's classified as a local anyway, uh, and a development player from India. So it, it is a really, it's a real Benetton level team. Yeah, and look, it hasn't come together for the Breakers in the past few years. We know that. But I do think it is uh, their asset that they're able to have all these connections internationally and bring in guys from all corners of the world. You know, we, we're seeing that happen as a general trend in the NBL this season. It's gone international and it's very exciting. And I think the breakers are probably in the best situation to capitalise on all that because, you know, Dan Shamir, Mir Modi, like all these guys they're really tapped into everything overseas. And what I've loved about the breakers putting together rosters on paper over the last few years is that they're really um, clear cut about pursuing and exhausting every single avenue they can, no matter how obscure to, you know, add someone that can be of benefit to their roster. Yep. And, you know, like you mentioned, Hugo Besson, he had offers from teams like Basconia and Asbel, you know, two really high level European teams obviously uh, decided to come here instead. That, that's also a pretty big coup when you consider who they've beaten out and the location of the teams they've beaten out. It, it's massive. Yeah, Hugo Besson was a massive pickup. And honestly, if he was a next star, uh, he would be considered my number one guy as a next star. Like he, he would be the most impactful guy. Um, so, yeah, re- really excited to watch him play. He's such a fun scorer. Um, and we touched on Usman Dieng earlier. That guy is younger. He's more raw. But the flashes we saw in preseason were super exciting. Um, and if those two guys can, you know, make good on their potential and, and really be impact players, 
then, you know, this season's going to go very well for them. And lastly, a guy that I think also fits into that conversation, maybe in, in terms of young guys flashing potential is Karen Galloway. Yeah. Yeah. Karen Galloway looks to, you know, really solidify his uh, role in the rotation this season. Um, if I recall correctly, he signed as a DP plus one last year. So they sort of, you know, picked him up as an extra piece last season with the intention of, you know, getting him, you know, more involved this season. And that certainly seems to be the case with the way they've constructed this roster. Uh, coming out of college, the really interesting thing about Galloway, in terms of his archetype as a player, he's big, he's athletic, long arms, and he can really shoot the three. So he can, he's a really good stretch big, and he blocks a lot of shots. So he's someone who, uh, you know, will really easily slot into lineups and make an impact on both ends can play off of others really easily. And I think the only question for me is, is he a bit of a four five tweener? Because he doesn't quite have the bulk to hold his own against fives just yet, but he's not super fluid at the four either. He doesn't do a lot of stuff outside of shooting the three. Um, Really good player. I want to see the motor at a higher level, but as you mentioned, he's a young player who, you know, is going to grow into a, you know, really solid situational um, player for the breakers and, you know, have a long NBL career. Now from a younger, more international team to a team that, well, actually, yeah, they're a team who doesn't really, I don't really know what to make of them this year, just purely because of the, the change they've made at the top, but the Perth Wildcats, the first year of the, the post Gleason era, bringing in maybe the most hilariously named head coach in NBL history, considering everything else going on, Scott Morrison. Um, but yeah, I, what do you make of Perth this year? Like it, it, as much as things change, you'd have to expect there's going to be a lot of staying the same. Yeah. I mean, you can't understate how um, big of a difference it is losing their head coach, you know, for all the talk about, you know, the Perth Wildcats losing a player here or there, you knew that their system under Trevor Gleason was always going to be watertight. You know, they just operate beyond the sum of their parts. They're such an incredible machine as a team. And they just always got it done. No matter how much you counted them out, no matter how many injuries they seemed to get, um, they they would just get the dub. And so it's it's going to be really interesting to see how they navigate that change because it is a monumental change for the organize, organization. But that being said, they do have some continuity still in place. You know, that Perth Wildcats culture isn't going to go anywhere. You've got you guys like Mitch Norton, Kevin White, Jesse Wagstaff that are, you know, going to be really strong vets to, you know, work through this transition phase. Bryce Cotton, of course, is still there and he's still Bryce Cotton. So, you know, I'm not going to say a bad word about Perth until (laughs) we see them fail. Like, you know, I'm just never going to count them out until they fall flat on their face. And you look at the roster right now, it's probably an upgrade on last year. Um, You know, you swap out Mooney for Vic Law, you know, both really good players. You can't really go wrong there. Um, They brought in Hodge at the five who, you know, is a flawed player, but is a starting caliber player in his own right. Um, You know, Blanchfield, great role player in his own right as well. And then you have the whole Luke Travis factor. And he's a guy that, you know, feels like he's on the verge of breaking out. He had an amazing final series last season. And it just feels like he's playing with a lot more confidence and a lot more freedom right now. And he could go into that, you know, extra core piece for the team this season. 
Yeah, Travers does seem like that that main candidate. And I guess if there was ever if there was a most improved um award in the NBL, he'd probably be a, a short priced early season contender for it. I've seen people who follow Perth more closely than I, you know, talk about him maybe even being a triple double threat down the line as well. Yeah, I mean he's six eight, even six nine, I think he's been mentioned at now. Um, and he's a guy that we're seeing being put in a lot of on ball situations now. He's handling the ball in pick and roll. He can he can really pass the ball. He's a really smart player. And um, you know, he's gonna come in and sort of act as that secondary creator because outside of Bryce Cotton, they don't really or they never really have had a lot of that. And a lot of that is, you know, by virtue of the flex offense and the way that they um, you know, construct their roles for their players. But you look at the point guard position, for instance. Mitch Norton and Kevin White, they are guys that are going to create off the dribble a whole lot. You know, they're, they're low-volume offensive options, and they're not high-level facilitators either. But mm. a guy like Luke Havers, he's a guy, whether it's your first or second unit, you can put the ball in his hands, and he's going to make stuff happen. Um, and the thing I love about Luke, and it's so exciting to see him finally jump on ESPN draft boards now, is he's 20 years old. It's easy to forget that because he's been a DP for a few seasons. But we're talking about a guy who, in terms of age and experience, is on par with these next stars. And you put that into perspective, he's probably performing better than the vast majority of next star prospects. Yeah. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be a you know, bona fide you know, NBA draft prospect because it's all about the translation as well. And I think the three-point shot is a non-negotiable. Like he's going to have to develop that if NBA teams are going to properly look at him. But when you consider what he's doing now, he has such a great foundation because he impacts the game in so many ways. He's a great defender. He, as we mentioned, is a passer. He can you know, handle the ball a bit. And he's quite athletic. He gets on the boards. He's finishing around the rim and above the rim. Like he just impacts the game in so many different ways. And if he's able to put it all together the guy at minimum will be a high level NBL player and at best can find himself in the NBA. And I, I don't want, I don't need to speak too much about uh, Bryce Cotton because I think we've like, there's nothing really to preview with him, but I do want to talk about the other two imports for Perth. Michael Fraser. I don't really know much about him other than he briefly appeared for the Houston Rockets a couple of years ago and he played at Florida do you know anything more about him? Yeah, I'm, I wasn't totally blown away at first glance. You know, this isn't a guy that has had particularly gaudy stats over the years. Um, hasn't been particularly efficient either. Um, but that being said, it seems like he fits a role really well. He's a really good defender. He can shoot the three ball. Um, his three-point percentage was actually a little bit hit and miss over his career. But when I watched him in the blitz, he just looked really pure with that stroke. I'm pretty confident in his ability to shoot the three. And that's essentially what Perth needed out of that third import spot. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, is going to come off the bench, do a little bit of everything. And, you know, P- Perth Wildcats just like players who are smart, play hard and play the right way. And he's going to fit right into that. Seems like a high character guy with some, some confident connections there. And, um, you know, he's, Again, he's not a high-level import. He's not going to blow it out of the park, but I'd expect him to play his role to a high level. So maybe on a more Perth level or a Perth theme, 
similar in a way, maybe not the same ceiling, but to Tariko White from a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to catch fire and, you know, have the same um, ability to beca- become a second option in the same way Tariko was. But he certainly, you know, draws some parallels in that respect. I think, you know, he's going to be a guy that is able to offset Cotton and offset Law in a way that, you know, is really going to complement this team. Uh, and, and But more interestingly, I wanted to talk about, before we move on to the next team, Vic Law, obviously imports moving between teams it's uh you know not a foreign thing it happens all the time but it it seemed at least from the outside that he didn't I don't know if he left Brisbane under bad circumstances but there was certainly it seemed a bit of a frosty ending to that one (laughs) I I definitely saw the uh the comments online and look from from a glance it, it seems to me just like a little bit of banter but with that being said, it, it definitely adds to the intrigue when these guys play each other, that being Brisbane and Perth. You know, I, th- I think, you know, whether tongue-in-cheek or whether seriously bitter, um, you know, they'll have something to prove and they want to go at each other. And I think Vic Law, you know, is, is going to give Brisbane some buckets. Yep. Um, I think <laughs> when, when Vic signed with Perth, I feel like everyone sort of thought, oh, here we go, the rich get richer. Because yeah. Vic Law is a, is a potential like first team guy. I think we, you know, only speaking for myself here, it's sort of hard to forget just how good he was at times last season because he was pretty um, derailed by injuries and stuff towards the back end of that season. But when he was on and when he was, you know, playing at his peak, the guy was a force on both ends of the court. And he's going to fit into this Perth team really well. Um you know, he he's going to be that second option for Bryce Cotton. He's not just a scorer. He can pass the ball as well. And he's a high character guy on top of that. You know, you hear him speak, you know, he's a guy with his head screwed on straight. So seems like a quintessential, you know, Perth Wildcats signing, plenty of talent. And um, yeah, it makes Perth really formidable. Maybe I'm way off with this one. Moving on to the, the Phoenix, Southeast Melbourne. But to me, they kind of come into this season as not favourites, but I'd probably put them up there. Yeah. On on paper, I think they're the best team in the comp. And that's pretty massive. Like, we don't really talk about this enough, but for a team that's in its third season, that's pretty exceptional. Um, you know, Mitch Creek has been one of the best locals in the league for a as long as he's, you know, been with South East Melbourne, you know, absolute stud. Um, and then the fact that they're able to pair him with another local in Ryan Brockoff, um, it's it's crazy. On paper, it was crazy the moment Ryan signed. Now, obviously, Ryan didn't live up to, you know, the expectations some may, may have had last season. And, and that's been well documented why that may have been the case. Um, but from what we saw in preseason, this is like Ryan Brockoff as we know him. This is, you know... Australian boomer, Dallas Maverick, Ryan Brokoff. And you pair those two guys together and you consider that they have Joe Chi, who is just a freak at the centre position. You've got Xavier Munford, who may be the best point guard import that they've picked up up to this point. They've always wanted someone a bit longer, lankier, two-way, um, you know, and he's a really good piece. And the second unit is super deep as well. You've got Adnam, you've got Glidham, you've got Liafa, uh, Tarangi, Dane Pinot came back. He was a starter a couple of years ago. They got an import in Thomas. Like these guys are 11, 12 deep 
and their starting five is one of the strongest in the league. So I think it's an amazing team in terms of talent. It's an amazing team in terms of fit, like their shooting is going to be off the charts and they're complementing that with, you know, a guy who can attack in Munford and a massive paint presence in Joe Chi. And it's it's really hard to pick them apart. They looked great in preseason and I don't see any any reason why that will change going into the regular season. Yeah, Munford is a bit of a different type from what they previously looked at. Obviously, they had John Robertson their first year, and he was really good uh, last year. Kiefer Sykes, he was really good, but they're both smaller guys who are really offense-oriented, um, whereas Munford, like you said, has that two-way presence, and maybe that's a sign that they're looking for that versatility because, you know, the old adage, uh, the, what is it, offense wins games, defense wins championships, you know, that that silly little you know, old-timey saying, but I think Munford definitely improves them on that end, considering, you know, Mitch Creek is a, a good defender. Um, Joshi is just, like, we joked about Liu earlier, but another guy, Joshi, can just stand in, in the paint and just pretty much block shots without jumping. Um, a lot of NBL quality bench guys and role players on here that know how to play in that system Cam Glidden, you know, Australian boomer. Carl Adnam has been around the block. He's played on championship teams before um, or championship level teams, both in Melbourne and Sydney. Uh, Ruben Tarangi, another guy who's been around the block. Smith Milner in that Melbourne system for a long time as well. Obviously, Ryan Brokoff. This just seems like a team that has built a, a roster full of championship caliber. And I'm not going to say championship or bust because that's, you know, not really what the NBL goes towards. but it does seem like this team at least early on is probably going to have the target. Yeah. Yeah. Just to touch on Munford a little bit more. I mean, I've looked at Robertson and of course Sykes last season, they were really good. And every time you'd sort of hear, Oh yeah, like we were happy with them, but you know, we want to upgrade and I go, Oh, black. Okay. Well, you must have a lot of faith in your scouting because those guys were pretty good, you know, just to cast them aside. But it seems like South East Melbourne have really clearly had this vision in their head that they wanted a point guard that was bigger and can also play at the two and can play at both ends of the court and space the floor and drive in a little bit. Like it's asking for a lot. And I think the reasoning behind that vision was they look at Kyle Adnam and I think that um, Coach Simon really loves Kyle Adnam. And fair enough, like he's, he's been a real piece for them over the last couple of years but he's also not a full-time starting point guard. And I think they look at Munford as this guy who within his archetype can start a point and bring them everything they need to a point guard, but then can also slide over to the two and coexist with a guy like Adnam, potentially even Liafa, and give them some different looks offensively and make sure that they have their best five at all times finishing games. Like if Adnam's hot, then you can still have, you can roll with like Adnam, Munford, Brokoff, Creek, Chi. Like that, you know, that's probably their closing lineup on a good day. And it just gives them so much versatility, more of a defensive ceiling. And, you know, it, yeah, it's it's just really exciting for Southeast Melbourne because they the sky's the limit on both ends of the court. Uh Devin Thomas only signed a couple of weeks ago, so I don't uh, I don't even think he played the games he was even signed when I've watched them in the preseason. He might have been, but I just didn't see it. What do you know about him? Yeah, so Thomas is a guy 
Um, slightly undersized big. He's a non-shooting big, so he's not going to go and stretch the floor by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but he seems like a guy somewhat in the Ben Moore mold as someone who will flop, flip and flop between the four and the five and and just sort of fill in those minutes in the rotation where needed. Um, and, you know, he's pretty athletic. He's a high-motor guy that's going to go get boards. Should be pretty good on defense. And, you know, despite only being, I think, like 6'8", he's got the sort of play style and the type of body where he can slide up to the five. So, you know, if a guy like Dane Pinot or Joe Chi goes down with injury, which is entirely plausible, um, you know, he's going to be pretty flexible to plug all the holes that they need in the front court. That said, you know, I don't think he's going to be in their best five. You know, I don't think he's a an elite-level import, but he is someone who's going to really help them um, you know, just gel and fill out their rotation, especially over the regular season. Yep. And lastly, on on Phoenix, I think to the casual fan, Joe Chi might have been seen as somewhat of a, a novelty signing, but you look at how he's played, and you know this guy's probably one of the the better centers in the league right now, at least on paper. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking through the centers right now, and um, it's hard to find many better. You, you know, you could say Isaac Humphreys, you could say uh, Joe Perith. Beyond that, it's pretty hard to say. I think Joe Chi is going to be a force. Now, it depends what you're after from your big guy. He's not a guy that you're going to throw it into the post, and you know he's going to score lots of buckets elaborately, you know, off, off his own hand, but. In terms of what the Phoenix are after, you know, they've got the floor space. They needed a guy that can protect the rim, uh, you know, finish plays. The thing about Chi, you know, he's no novelty. And the difference between him and Leo from Brisbane is significant. This is a guy that, you know, has played for the Houston Rockets. Um, yes, he's big. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's pretty mobile and coordinated. Um He's got really good hands, so he's great as a role man, um, you know, really effective finishing under the rim, and he's got a bit of moxie to him as well. We saw him, you know, getting a little chippy sort of back and forth during the preseason. Um, but this guy is legit. You know, he, he's really rangy. He's going to provide Southeast Melbourne everything they need. And quite frankly, they are extremely lucky that Chief fell into their lap because um, he's exactly what they need. And I think he could be a defensive player of the year candidate with the way that he's going to influence that end of the floor for them. Okay. Now the Sydney Kings, and we mentioned earlier, Will Weaver. Um, they've kind of gone back to that. Well, that mold of picking up a, a really respected coach from the G league and chase Buford. And he's brought his guy, Jalen Adams with him. I look at this Sydney team and I go, wow, that's probably one of the deepest teams I've had in a little bit. Yeah. This roster is crazy. They just kept, signing guys and good guys and um you know it's an exciting mix of talent um Buford is going to be a really interesting coach they say he plays a really fun up and down style of play um and I think the only question really here is how is it all going to fit together how is the rotation going to play out um you know what is the style here going to look like because we mentioned this at the top they didn't play a lot of these guys during the preseason um and so we didn't really get answers to these sort of questions now just going from a talent standpoint Jalen Adams RJ Hunter Jarrell Martin that in my books is probably the best trio of imports in the league like each one of those guys is like a 1A import they have knocked that out of the park 
Then you add in, you know, Cooks, you add in Vasiljevic when he comes back, you add in Glover, all these guys. Jordan Hunter was really good last season. Like, on paper, this is nuts. These guys have the best on-paper roster in the league. My question is this. They have six playable bigs. I'm going to say those guys are Cooks, Martin, McCormaker, Matormaker, Jordan Hunter, and Tom Vodanovic. All those guys could play minutes anyway. How are they going to figure that out when everyone's available and push comes to shove? Because you're telling me that Buford, this coach, is an up-and-down coach and he wants to run and everyone can grab and go, etc. Now, if you're telling me that, but you're also telling me that you have the biggest roster in the league, I'm not sure how those two things are going to coexist effectively. There's <laughs> two ways they could go about this, honestly. One thing is that you cut a couple of guys out of the rotation completely. Maybe that's a young guy like Maker, Maybe that's Tom Vodanovic. And those guys are going to sit on the bench and be pissed off because they're like, hey, I'm good enough to play, um, but the minutes aren't here for me there. But the rotation sort of figures itself out. The other option is Xavier Cooks slides up and plays the three. And I think they might experiment with this a little bit because RJ Hunter's like the only guy they have at the three right now. Um, and it, it just allows for more minutes for other bigs to play. And Cooks does have some versatility where he can go and do that. But with that being said, I don't think that's the answer because Cooks is not a high-level shooter right now. If you're playing him at the three, you're minimizing your floor spacing. And the other factor is I was actually listening to a podcast or, you know, an interview with him the other day. He was on the Oz Hoopers podcast. Shout out to those guys. And he said himself, when he played in France before he signed with Sydney, they played him at the three and it didn't work. And he admitted himself, I'm not a three. My natural position is the four. So if they go and play him at the three, I'm going to be pissed off. He's going to be pissed off and it's not going to work. (laughs) So I'm just wondering how how is this going to work you're telling me it's going to run and gun and you're also telling me we've got six bigs like at some point they're going to have to figure this out we've seen no way that they've sort of attempted to figure it out up to this point and it remains a massive question mark yeah and i think i think the the kings have enough shooting from other pockets that you know if push comes to shove and they do end up having to play cooks at the three or even you know, let's get real funky, you know, point cooks. Um, I think they've probably got enough to cover that. You know, uh, guys like, you know, they've got a couple of development players signed up. Vadanovic, I think, is a candidate to probably be a a, a situational rotation guy. Bawali Bales, I don't think he's going to play too much, especially when you consider it's a pretty set point guard rotation right now of uh, Jalen Adams. And then, you know, Sean Bruce is one of the better backups in the league. Um, and also Wani Sparkle Bullock is just an injury guy until Vasilievich comes back. So that it is going to naturally cull down just the size of the roster, but you are right. It, it's, you know, Martin is going to start probably with Cooks at the four, at least initially. Obviously, we didn't see RJ Hunter at all in preseason because of a, a groin, I think it was, but he might have even tweaked in warm-ups of the first Blitz game. Um, so we haven't really needed to answer the, the questions yet. Uh, Jordan Hunter proved he is a playable starting center last year, probably pressed into that earlier than they would have liked considering the roster situation at the time, but, you know, did really well for himself. Um, But yeah, I think this is going to be a team that, that 
you know, shoots first, asks questions later. They'll, they'll load a bunch of guys. They'll probably just try and outrun teams and outtire them. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. I don't think it's probably the most fun team that the Kings have had in in a long time. Yeah, and I I probably need to check myself because I'm poking holes at every roster, even when you know these teams are loaded. But you're absolutely right. The Kings have accounted for you know these question marks in the best possible way. Adams is an elite shooter. RJ Hunter is an elite shooter. Martin can shoot from the five, and Vasilyevich is an elite shooter. So they've covered the floor spacing as well as they possibly could have given the other guys they have. Um, you know, this is a question mark, but ultimately it's a good problem to have. They're stacked and they're going to have to figure out what guys probably get the short end of the stick. But at the end of the day, you're still going to have 10 guys in the rotation who are really good players. And, you know, Sydney's going to win a bunch of games off it. Yeah. And look, Vadanovic, probably, like I said, the main guy is probably going to lose minutes just by virtue of the stacked front court. He's a guy that, you know, if you just need five minutes for a guy to run up and down, commit three fouls and shoot threes, well, there's your guy right there. If you needed to be a, a brawler, a, you know, a quote-unquote enforcer, then he can do that. If you needed to shoot threes, he can do that. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, the Maker Boys, both very versatile as well. And I, I actually noticed uh, a pick-and-roll interview with the Maker Boys that I read actually about a few hours ago before I came on to this and, you know, Looking for that opportunity, I think the Kings have a bunch of guys that are starving for that opportunity. You look at Bales, the Makers, Glover, Jordan Hunter, Vasilievich when he comes back. There's going to be a lot of motivation on this team. I think what stops them from being a favorite, like we've just talked about Southeast, is that lack of continuity. Whereas Southeast Melbourne have been together for a couple of years now, at least the the core pieces of that team, down to the coaches. This is pretty much an entirely different Kings roster uh, from last season outside of, you know, Martin and Cooks um, and and Jordan Hunter, really, and Sean Bruce, you know, key pieces. But the roster has been filled out with a whole bunch of new talent and a new system. Um, It's going to be exciting, but it's also, it's got uh, blow up in your face potential as as much as it pains me to admit that. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think the continuity is a really important point. Um, also, shout out to the Maker Brothers. That article you read was actually uh, my interview with them. <laughs> I didn't want to, I, I was pretty sure it was. I didn't want to say it in case it wasn't. Like, I've got it wrong. But yeah, no, I did. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, that's all good. Yeah, the Makers, Maker Boys were a great interview. Um, you know, those guys are really determined. And I think, you know, one of the things I sort of touched on when I spoke to them was, you know, this this idea that, you know, they are coming into a team where, there's a lot of big options and, you know, I think they understand that, you know, they're going to have to fight for whatever minutes are out there. And um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how all that plays out, but you're right. A lot of talent, a lot of new faces, especially with a new coach coming in as well. Um, maybe they have a bit of a slow start to the season as they work it out perhaps. Um, but over the long run, you know, talent trumps, you know, most things and they, they've got oodles of it. Yeah, and we've mentioned Angus Glover. Excited to see him back. Um, Vasilievich is probably the only other option. Um, Garlic to really talk about. Obviously, a devastating injury when he suffered it. By all reports, he looks like he's going to be coming back or he hopes to be coming back. I think they said before, I think it was before Christmas, which you think Achilles and you go, oh, you know, geez, I just 
don't push it because, you know, it's probably one of the more devastating injuries in basketball considering, you know, just the, the stress it places on your ankles and your heel in that area. At least with Vasilievich, was never a, an athlete before the injury, didn't rely on it. So hopefully it, it doesn't affect his game too much. And then you can also just look across the locker room at someone like Angus Glover, who's had 17,000 knee reconstructions and is still pumping along. So, you know. Yeah, the Achilles kind of scares the shit out of me, if I'm being honest. I hope he comes back at full strength. Um, you know, he's not a jump out of the gym guy, but he was, was pretty quick. And I think, you know, those things are going to be pretty important for him. But as you said, that you know, the skill level's there. The guy has an incredible shooter and um, there's no doubt that that will continue on. So hopefully he doesn't rush things. And, he, you know, especially with a deep team that don't need him to, to come back on day one, you know, you just hope that he comes back fully healthy and, um, you know, slowly works himself into form because he has a really bright future ahead of him. Okay, and the last team, uh, the Tasmania Jack Jumpers, I guess not much to talk about here because we don't really know what there is to talk about yet with this team, but like, and we touched on them obviously at the start as well. So I don't think we need to go too deep into this one, but to me, I guess my initial thoughts, when I look at this roster, they've signed a lot of solid local talent, you know, Jared Bairstow, Chris Levick, um, Jack McVeigh, Steindl, Weeks, Magne, McDaniel, you know, guys that are, have been around the NBL, but hardly, you know, they're not names that the casual fan will pick up a roster and go, oh, you know, look at these guys we've got. Um, but from what I saw in the Blitz, I was really impressed mostly by Josh Adams as an import. And, you know, Majet, I think that's how you pronounce it. That's how the announcer was pronouncing it anyway. Um, yeah. I always read it as Maggetti, like Corey Maggetti. But yeah, Josh Majet, I think, is a really good com- uh, controlling guy for this team. But yeah, I think Josh Adams is going to be that guy that gets fans through the seat, for, uh, through the doors. Oh, yeah. I mean, we said it from the jump. These guys are not going to win a lot of games. So (laughs) something exciting better happen. And that exciting thing is most likely going to be Josh Adams. Like, the guy is a freak. He, I remember watching him in college, and he just had some massive posts to dunk, alley-oops over the season. And it didn't take a lot. I was sort of skeptical. I hadn't seen him in a few years. And I was like, I wonder if he's still got it. And then he came out in those blitz games. And I think, you know, you, you probably remember that one where he, he it was like a semi-transition or he broke a press or something. Yeah. And he just came down and absolutely just flew and hammered it down with one. And at that point, I realized, like, this guy is just going to be, if nothing else, he's going to be a highlight machine for Tassie this season. And, um, you know, you couple that with the fact that he, you know, he's a pretty good shooter off the dribble. He can make things happen. And, you know, he's he's probably going to be their number one option this season. Um Tazzy are going to live and die by their import talent. As you mentioned, you know, they, they locked in a bunch of um, local talent who, you know, some guys are really solid. Jack McVeigh, he's, you know, a potential breakout candidate. Clint Steindl is always a very good role player. And then they signed guys that, you know, probably on the fringes of, um, you know, getting contracts on any team. Guys like Jared Bairstow, Jared Weeks, Fabian Krizlovic, Matt Kenyon. Um, and I think my initial impression when I saw that was, okay, it's very early to be signing guys of that caliber when you haven't locked in, you know, your good players yet. Um, but then they also sign these guys to like two or three year deals and, you know, maybe they were scared about, you know, maybe they wanted some continuity and they wanted to build something, et cetera. 
but it felt like they were sort of competing against nobody for their signatures. <laughs> and the fact that they went to this extent to lock these guys in seemed to me to be highly questionable. Now, we'll see what their vision is with that and, and how they go with it. I think they're guys that do play the right way. And, you know, maybe Scott Roth has this idea, you know, coming coming from the Perth Wildcats organisation that, you know, it's not about the talent, but guys that buy in and, and do the right things. And I think they are those sort of guys. Um, but ultimately, Tassie lack talent. And yeah, fair enough, they're in their first year. You know, I don't think anyone was expecting too much. Um, but they're going to have to rely really heavily on that import trio. You said Majet, probably there, there are some differences, but in that sort of Scott Machado mold as a guy that can score but is ultimately a facilitator. Um, and he's going to click really well with Will Magne. I think Will Magne is going to have a bounce back here. Um, Perth was not a good fit for him and, you know, been documented as well that he'd put on some weight, um, you know, while he's over in the NBA. I think that's going to be just like this pick and roll combo. They're just going to spam all game. Um, McIntosh has exceeded my expectations a little bit. Like I think he's going to be a solid third import, has some nice moves in the mid post. Yeah. And then the one thing that I think is going to be really interesting is they've got this next star, Nikita Mikhailovsky. Russian guy has quite a reputation, you know, having played overseas and I I put in my, for the pick and roll, we had this article where we put in our predictions um, for the most impactful next star. I think it was. And I put Nikita Mikhailovsky. Now I put this in before the blitz started (laughs) and the guy came out and played like 30 minutes all blitz. Yeah. Um, Scott Roth just didn't play him. And who knows what the factors are behind that? Like coming from Russia, probably the coldest place on earth to Australian summer. Um, Tasmanian summer. Tasmanian summer. Yep. Fair enough. (laughs) And um, actually not that cold to be honest, but yep. Fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Australia, Australian summertime, I guess, compared to Russia, but um, they, you know, I'm sure for a young guy, it's a massive culture shock and, you know, trying to work your way in and everything. And, I spoke to Scott Roth um, about Luke Travers maybe a year ago for an article and, you know, he seemed to sort of mimic this philosophy that the Wildcats have, you know, where they're not too inclined to put much faith in the young guys, you know, they, they like to lean on their vets and I'm sort of sensing that similar vibe here where he's not ready to put trust in Mikhailovsky just yet, but you look at Tassie, they lack talent. This kid's a clearly talented kid and I'm finding it really hard to reason with the fact that he's not getting enough opportunity. Yeah, it seems like, and this also leads into one of the questions we got from Regularly Wrong, which was, you know, what are your expectations for Tassie this year? None (laughs) is the short answer. And uh, Sweet FA is probably the extended version of that. So if you look at like what this team expects to do this year, it it makes no sense to, to not give a guy like Nikita minutes, you know, A, he's probably one of your more, talented guys just on a raw talent perspective anyway and also you know he, he's entertaining young kid you know just give the fans something yeah i mean at the very least people are interested to see um you know what this guy has and you know when you bring in a next star it, it, there's a few different factors involved you know because you're not just thinking about this particular kid but you're also thinking about um the the trust that you're developing for future next stars to come here you know, yes. you've, like, for instance, you look at Cairns last year and obviously they, you know, have a new coach now and everything. But I think people, I, I remember a tweet saying like, 
you know, if Mojave is not getting any burn on this, you know, crummy Cairns team, then why would any agent want to send their next star to Cairns? You know, that's the sort of lack of faith that you're yeah. developing. Yeah. You're not willing to play these guys because these guys are coming over to play. Yeah. So I think there's a degree of alienation with not playing these guys that extends beyond this season. And it's not a good thing, um, especially when your roster's pretty, you know, mediocre. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's room for this guy. And you got to just let him burn and see if the upside reveals itself eventually because you need a swing for the fences. Your team is not a playoff team. Give at least a glimmer of hope that this team can, you know, put out something that can snag a few wins. I mean, the clearest example is probably Terry Armstrong, right? For that same phenomenon. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's funny because, you know, at a certain point you kind of have to go, oh, there must be a reason they're not playing Terry, right? And, you know, it was probably pretty reasonable. But it goes to show how invested people are in these next star players that, you know, two-thirds of the way into the season, people are still saying, like, throw scary Terry in at garbage time, you know, like people want to see this dude. Yeah. And, um, and it didn't happen. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, both sides probably regretted that, that one a little bit. Yeah. Now I'm conscious of time, but I'm glad you brought up the next star stuff because one of my other talking points, and we've spoken a lot about the guys individually, you know, Basson, McCormaker, Deng, Kai Soto, et cetera. I know Basson's not technically a next star, but, I think it's interesting to see that whereas the last couple of years, next stars have been, you know, those American guys or those NBA talent guys, you know, RJ and Lamello, obviously Terrence Ferguson, Terry Armstrong, Didi Lozada, uh, Josh Giddy, you know, et cetera, et cetera. This year, it seems like it's pivoted to international almost exclusively, uh, except for the holdovers like uh, Justinian Jessup, for example. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a, um, a change that, it was a, a very innovative change. Um, you know, I think, you know, we had that Lamello and RJ year and there was a lot of hype around um, the American pathway. And then that quickly, you know, sort of fell dead in its tracks. You know, we saw the G League Ignite become a thing and, and sort of, um, yeah, cut, cut a, the NBL's lunch a little bit on that one. And then you've got Overtime Elite come in as well. Yeah. The NBL was just sort of ahead of the curve, but now everyone's caught up. And I'm not going to rule out, future US players coming here, you know, it does seem like they entertain the idea, um, but it does seem very unlikely at this point. And we were yep. fortunate last season, you know, we had Gideon King to sort of fill the void. Um, luckily one of them panned out. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, th- I think everyone was looking to the season like, okay, this is the Dyson Daniels year. Like, you know, we're not getting any US guys, but let's get Dyson Daniels in. And when I saw Dyson went to Ignite, I was like, oh, here we go. Like, you know, this is our one top prospect of the, of the um, class. And, you know, he's opting to go to the U S rather than Australia. So what hope do we have of getting U S guys over here? If our Aussie guys are going over there. Um, but that's where it's been really innovative. And, you know, I think the thing about all these European players is that, you know, they're not always in the best position to a push themselves or B have the right opportunity, um, you know, because, you know, we talk a Europe, we think a Euro league, but, you know, it's um, a continent that spans many, you know, different levels of play and many different leagues. And, you know, guys coming from, from smaller leagues, like going back a season, you look at Didi Lazada coming from this little Brazilian league, um, you know, he needed 
a challenge and the NBL could provide that while giving you minutes. Then you look at team, players that are in really high-level European teams. They might be legitimate NBA prospects, but they can't crack minutes on a EuroLeague rotation. Then you come down a level to the NBL and they can play while still getting a stimulating level of play. Yeah, And I think the NBL hits that equilibrium really well where it is not the second best league in the world on paper in terms of the level of play, but it is a really good level of play and it's really well marketed and everyone knows about it and everyone wants to come here right now. So the fact that they'll get getting all these guys in from all over the place, you know, Germany, Russia, China, you know, it's massive for the league's relevance. It's massive for international fans. Like, you know, we can talk about the next stars. We can also talk about, this Asian player exception, this Asian player rule. And this is the first year it's really been relevant. You got Soto, you got Liu, you got Chi, all these guys. The NBL is wanting to tap into the Asian market for Yonks. And now here it is. And we spoke about this earlier. This is the most international flavor the league's ever had. And I think it does wonders for it. I was actually speaking to a friend of mine who, you know, maybe has a very cursory interest in the NBL And he was just listing off these names like, oh, you know, I heard they got this, you know, like this German prospect or I heard they got this and that, like, you know, maybe not, they're not the best players in the NBL, but they're the ones that attract eyeballs and the ones that are relevant. Um, And it's going to do wonders for the league's um, popularity, I think. Yeah, it's, and also apart from that, it's also that cultural thing, right? Especially if these guys are legitimate NBA prospects, you look at the reason and I know Lazada was already drafted when he came down here, but, you know, he was basically come down here to, A, play, but also, you know, learn English and just, I guess, develop that, you know, it's probably as close to an American lifestyle as you're going to get outside of America is here in Australia, which sounds weird to say out loud now that I say that. But from a basketball perspective, it is a well-publicized league. It's a good league. You're going to get minutes, but you're also going to get that cultural uh, experience that would help assimilate you a little bit easier if you were to go over there at some point because you also look at like you mentioned the euro league like those teams are playing to win they don't give a shit if you're a prospective nba guy like you could be like a top 10 prospect and they not going to play and the best example i can think of for that is when mario hazonia came out what seven years ago now he was playing for barcelona clearly going to be drafted in the top 10 and they just didn't play him because they're like, well, maybe part mm. of that is saltiness that he's going to leave anyway, but also like, well, you're not in our best rotation right now. So sod ya. <laughs> you're not playing. So yeah, you're right. That NBL, the NBL does give that really good balance between, you know, all those factors. Yeah. And when they sign these next star contracts, like, you know, whether we like it or not, there is a level of demands that come from these players and they are going to get a certain amount of playing time. Maybe not in uh, Mikhailovsky's uh, <laughs> <laughs> most circumstances, at least the high-end guys, they're going to get some sort of guarantees, you would imagine. And, you know, that's that's more than a lot of these, um, you know, teams over in Europe can sometimes say. It's, and, yeah, it's a very player-friendly program because it also, it, it's designed with the implication that it is basically a leap for potential NBA prospects. Yeah, and it you know how there's this whole narrative about the NBL being the second best league in the world. At least that's what the NBL is trying to hype itself up as, right? Yeah. Now that that's not the case 
from a objective lens in terms of the, you know, the, the caliber, but you mentioned there's all these other factors. The league itself has marketed itself so well. And, you know, it's very culturally accessible to the U S it's English speaking. There's all these different factors that they can sell themselves as that. And there's a lot of legitimacy to that in the sense that it can really grow and become relevant um, in ways that these other leagues can't. Um, There's just so much potential in Australia for this to continue growing. And um, yeah, it just makes so much sense. There's so many connections. Even if you look back to the NBA Global Academy, you know, we have a lot of international prospects coming here to Canberra to develop their games alongside our Australian prospects. Some of those guys are like Amrit Paul Singh, um, oh, sorry, Principal Singh, who's now signed with the Sydney Kings. He came through the Global Academy program. He played NBL one South. Then he went to Ignite and then he came back here. So there's so many different connections to the NBA um, that just makes so much sense and are sorting, sort of helping bring all these things together in a very exciting way. Yeah. I think you've crossed your Singh wires. Principal's with the Breakers. Amrapal <laughs> was, with, was with the Kings years ago oh yes yes that's yeah. right <laughs> he was a he, he was a novelty signing i think it's fair to say amrit pal um, oh, when that happened right now i know conscious of time so let's just do some quick hitting predictions mvp who do you think uh i mean you gotta say bryce cotton don't you <laughs> yeah bryce cotton's the default i think if you want a dark horse uh, depending on how the kings go maybe someone like jerome martin um but i think uh cotton it's probably the the dollar 10 favorite without looking at markets uh depoy uh you know i'm gonna i'm gonna go with joe chi i think he you know is in a position with southeast melbourne where he's gonna anchor the defense of potentially the best team in the league and i think he's gonna get a lot of love for it so i think him maybe taj mccall um you know he's obviously a defensive specialist but you know on a team that may be competing with tassie for the worst team in the league i don't think he's probably gonna get enough uh support yeah, and I, I mean, with um, with Joe Chi, he's going to get the the stats that I don't know. I know it's not the same level as NBA uh, NBA voting, but um, you know, where stats matter the most. But you know, you have to think Joe is going to get a lot of blocks, and that's generally how these awards go. Mm. Uh, six man, you mentioned your candidate earlier. Yeah, I think uh, Jeremiah Martin uh, might be the guy. I wasn't sure whether he was going to come off the bench or not. Um, but he's been really good for the breakers off the bench. Uh, if not, probably Dark Horse, maybe Todd Withers. I really like him for Adelaide. Yeah, I'm not sure if RJ Hunter's going to start for the Kings right now. Um, mm. I, I assume he will, but there's a, there's an alternative universe where he where he doesn't start. Um, you know, flicking through as well. You know, yeah. It, it's such a stack league. I don't, I don't, Cause you don't know who's going to start anymore. So it's maybe it's, <laughs> maybe it's someone like, uh, I don't know. Nah. Yeah. You're right. Nah. I'm going with Barton as well. Um, or even someone like Caleb Agata, if he doesn't start in Melbourne, even though I think he probably does, but um, there's that alternative universe. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the thing when we don't see these full rosters at the blitz, you know, it's very hard to say who's going to, be playing off the bench. It's the, yeah. it's the hardest thing about picking this one. I'd also say maybe, you know, one of the Hawks guys as well, but there's about six of them you could probably pick. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think Rathan Mays might be the guy to come off the bench and he'll, he'll be really good. 
Uh, rookie of the year. Now, this is always a bit of a weird one in terms of who's eligible. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to go with Luke Travers. I think he's the safe bet. I think, you know, they want to get around a, a local kid. And, you know, he's due for a really big year. So, yeah, Luke Travers. Is, is Travers eligible? I think he is. And the reason for that is this is his first year coming off a DP. So this is his first regular contract season. Yeah, okay. Now, whether you reckon that's fair or not, now, <laughs> that's not for me to say. <laughs> but um, it's always a hard one in a league like this to sort of define those parameters. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, like when Lamelo got his rookie of the year, technically... No, I I felt weird about that. It just didn't. It yeah. I I didn't know how to take it. It was just it was just an odd one. Yeah, it, I mean, when a guy has played professionally in another league before, you'd think that would exclude him. Um, but uh, yeah, who knows? You know, sometimes the NBL likes to play with him. Although, yeah. Although whether you can call what he did in Lithuania professional, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, pro- probably a bit sketchy on that one. Yeah, uh, coach of the year. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go Gorge. Um, you know, I think that Hawks team is is going to be right up there, and Gorge is going to be a big reason why. So, you know, in a in a league that has you know a lot of good coaches, but Gorge has the biggest reputation of them all. I think you know the Hawks coming in the top two or three will will solidify that for him. Yeah, I hate to keep agreeing with you, but yeah, I mean he's the clear favorite at this point. I think. Uh now top four. Who do you think's going to make top four? This, this is where it gets a little bit tricky because I think you know it's pretty open ended this year. But if I had to say, I'm going to go Southeast Melbourne, I'm going to go Illawarra, Sydney, and Perth. Yeah, I think there's avenues for, you know, Melbourne and Adelaide and Brisbane are probably that little tier below them. I don't think New Zealand has the juice to maintain a full season. And then obviously we've spoken about Cairns and Tasmania, you know, just happy to happy to be here. Um, I'd say Melbourne's probably like a, the fifth best team in a five-team serious contention. I think Adelaide and, and Brisbane probably have one too many holes to to be a serious... And I'm going to look stupid in about six months, but right now that's, I guess, my take on it all is that they're probably like that tier just below that Sydney, Perth, Melbourne. So I think it's probably pretty fair to call Illawarra and Southeast Melbourne the, the top two right now. Yeah, no, I think Melbourne probably deserve to at least be in the conversation there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure I will hear about it if they do make it. Um, but <laughs> it, it, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to pick. It is, and, it is. And that's good. You know, I think Melbourne have, have downgraded just enough that, you know, they've they've left the door a bit too open here. Uh, and then I guess stemming off from that, finals and, you know, who wins the finals, et cetera, all that stuff. Oh, man, I'm, this, it's really tough. I, I said I'd never go against Perth here. Um, and I'm literally toying it up as we speak, but I'm going to go with Illawarra and Southeast Melbourne. I think they're the two most cohesive, talented teams on paper at the moment. And who wins out of that battle? <laughs> um, let's go Southeast Melbourne. With, you'd assume that Mitch Creek is the finals MVP. Yeah, I, I think he has to be. He's the man on that team. And yeah, he, he'll, he'll be their go-to guy yeah. for sure. And, and conversely, Tyler Harvey, if Illawarra wins it. Most definitely. Yep, Tyler's like, their guy. Yeah. Well, other than that, we appreciate you coming on. Is there anything you wanted to promote before we let you go? I know you've got a basketball game to get to. 
<laughs> yeah, if anyone wants to come down to Nunawani Stadium a little bit later, you know, feel free to uh, <laughs> check. Out. I might be going for two or four points. Um, but beyond that, yeah, just keep an eye on my uh, my socials on Twitter at Michael Hoob, and I'll continue to pump out some Aussie basketball content for the pick and roll. Uh, well, we do appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, you know, looking forward to this NBL season coming up. Yeah, much appreciated. Really enjoyed the chat. Thanks again to Michael for coming on the show to chat all things MBL as we head into an exciting new season. Make sure you go follow him on Twitter and follow the good people at the Pick and Roll for some excellent local Australian basketball coverage. As always, subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, you know, whatever you get your podcasts, leave a rating. Go to beyondthefence.com.au, the home of the podcast. We have a couple of new articles up there. And other than that, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.